Are you gonna rip your vape on the cast? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Unmistakable vape. So there was a guy there playing with a revised tech with no sleeves? Yeah. He's the fucking man. Welcome to another episode of Tusk Talk. This is episode number 12. Back in the world of Eternal Magic, Evan Nyquist, a.k.a. Hemu from Team Tusk. I have on two special guests today from the Taxmen. We have Ziggy Humphreys, also known as Hit It, Quit It, from the Taxmen. Ziggy? Hey, that's me. And we also have on the legendary, the one and only, Sword from the Stone, Stephen Rosenblade. Howdy. What's up? All right. So today uh, we're going to be going deep into 93, 94. Uh, we won't be pushing legacy as hard in this episode, but we'll be going deep into Eternal as always. Two, possibly three-part series with Eternal Weekend. Also going to talk about uh, Star City Games has announced that they'll be cutting down some of their support across many of their events. We'll speak mainly on the issue at hand affecting us, which is a cut on SCG Classics in particular. And they've also cut down on the amount of open cutting from three to two per year. We'll be touching on that as well. Let's move into 93-94 at Eternal Weekend. All three of us played in the main event, and we all had a blast. I think we can completely agree. Possibly the highlight for all of us. Can't speak for everyone. Most definitely. All right. Steven? It was definitely the best of the weekend. No question about it. Jaco from Eternal Central goes far out of his way to set up this event. Started with a meager 12. Uh, moved into the 50 range of players uh, last year, and now we are at 86 this year. With uh, We had Halloween going on. You know, there's a lot of fathers uh, and mothers that play Magic the Gathering, so I think we missed a few people with that. Great turnout. Uh, the room was super excited. We all played at a pub uh, very close to the convention center. But I'll let you guys kind of go off and share your experiences, uh, taxman style. To, to be honest, I... I actually do not remember a lot of my experiences that night. I hit it pretty hard, obviously. I do recall some some moments of some matches. From the accounts of, of all the other tax men, I was pretty much like a drunken white weenie rain man that night. Right, right. So, well, let's let's give a quick overview on 93-94. Maybe there's some people that aren't fully accustomed with the Eternal Central rules. I guess I'll just give a quick breakdown, and you guys can kind of keep me honest here. The 93-94 format with Eternal Central, they are allowing art from that time era, from the original printings, from Alpha Beta Unlimited, Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, The Dark, and now include also Fallen Empires. There's a banned restricted list on Eternal Central. Collector's Edition and International Edition are also uh, legal to play with in this tournament. And you're also allowed to play without sleeves. Yes, and it encompasses anything with original border, original art. So if you're playing a 6th edition Wrath of God, that's acceptable, although you will probably be made fun of. Possibly. You know, I, I feel like the room was pretty gracious just to have so many players in the room. Everyone a- absolutely. Involved. A lot of people, 
disappointed 93.94, and my opinion is that it is the best casual format there is. Some people would probably contest that uh, with EDH, but it's it's not an exclusionary format. It's not about look at how you know how expensive my deck is. It is this is the style of magic we want to play as our casual format, and it's more inc- inclusive, not exclusive. Agreed. And I mean, it also kind of can be what you make of it. You know, there are people that can play really expensive cards and just make a pure value deck, and they're getting great enjoyment out of it. And there's some people that just make a deck that works for them that they played when they were a kid. They might actually have Alpha Beta Unlimited cards and just want to play with revised cards because that is what they were playing with back then. Although in Vintage, they might be playing with Beta. There was a lot of older, older gentlemen that played that just had Beta cards in their deck when they opened their children. And I thought that was like, the coolest thing ever. This man plays Beta cards. Elvis Archers on me. And he's like, I opened these as a child. And I'm like, that was that blew my mind. I loved it. That is awesome. I, uh, that reminds me of running into a guy at Dragon Con a few years ago, which, as everyone knows, is you can run into some random people there. And this guy was showing me his magic deck, and it was all beta singer vampires and hippies and black knights. And I really looked at the – he was like, I've had this deck since I opened it. And I almost wanted to you know, tell the guy, hey, I can only get so erect. I started in Guild Pack, so I never grew up with that, but I grew up around the Legacy scene playing magic for my first format. So I, had, I grew an appreciation for these cards. The old art, the aesthetics to it is just great visually. You actually get to see a lot of the foundations, I think, of a lot of legacy decks. You know, where you see kind of like maybe some of the infancy of miracles through the deck. Something like Infect, just through something that's playing like a, a red-green aggro deck with like Berserk and Fall Lightning. Death and Taxes with something like White Weenie. You know, I think, um, Evan, honestly, you what you come into with this format is you look at quite literally the basis for all of Magic, even uh, even Type 2, um, or Standard. You see the, original. You know, the deck mirrors uh, Standard Blue-White Control, such as Steven is playing right now in Standard. I agree with that. Like I love, as much as I hate to say it, I do enjoy playing Standard, because I do love playing Control Mirrors, and they are everywhere. But it's based at the very foundation. Like, I played Red, Green, Blue, Burn, and that was, that deck is, it's nuts. Like, you have Serendipity Repeat, you have Kurt Apes, you have Spy Blast, and it's just, I can't get over how much fun it is. Just playing with these it is, and, and that deck is actually devastating. <laughs> it is quite hard to keep up with for any type of control deck. I, I came in with no expectations, because I never really played the format that seriously before. It's kind of accumulated cards through rain. Various GPs. Whenever I saw like you know what I wanted to buy, I'm going to go every single year from now on without hesitating. I'm glad you made it in this year, man. I was super stoked to see you playing and getting a taste of the format. I, I felt like you'd enjoy it. I, I didn't do so hot, but you know what? I don't care if I you know, go 0 and 8. It's it's all about the fun and the flavor of the format to me. You know, when, honestly, when I play people and it's their first time getting into the format, it's Definitely more important for me at that stage to just have a good time. Like I, I, I could really give a shit less if I'm winning or losing that format. I know that that's not everyone's opinion on it, but that's well, if you think, absolutely true. Well, if you think, there's no value. Jackson, there's not. You can't be a grinder and play this format. There's no incentive. You win a trophy that is signed by everyone in the room, and you know, one of a kind. You have feelings attached to this trophy, like Humphreys' J, Alpha Jane Day told me one, for example. It's irreplaceable, one of a kind. It's worth, you know, no amount of money. It doesn't matter what it is, you know? Jackson! I will say, I will let you know, someone did ask me how much money I would take for it. And I told him a grand would not be enough. Now, 
hit it, quit it, uh, took down the 93-94 tournament. He uh, was the winner of the entire event. He was playing White Weenie, and he took down the deck. Multiple times. Multiple times. Uh, the deck is a very revered deck in 93-94. Many of our... Secret cow, in my opinion, some may say. Many of our peers in the eternal community uh, grasp hold of it like their young child. It was quite pleasing to watch it slowly die in a, in a small hole. <laughs> may it rest in Initially was was on a disc beast build, uh, comboing with Basil model of uh, power artifact, uh, utilizing brain geyser, rocket launcher, chaos orb, etc. I had recently completed my white weenie shell, looked at it uh, the morning the morning of the tournament, and I decided a I am probably going to be very 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 drunk, and b Consistency. The deck is just consistent, and that matters a lot when in, in any Magic tournament, at least by my standards. I, I make a lot of my deck choices based on not only the meta in this format and other formats, I suppose, but not only on the meta, but also the, consist- the consistency of the deck itself. Also, I believe in Indianapolis, Humphreys, that when we were testing old school, that I was like nine matches. I won like nine matches against the, the Disc Beast deck, something like that. Yes, yes. Although my disc beast deck did lack spot removal, but in those matches, it, it really felt like as as good as force field was against uh, your serendibs. It, it just did not matter. Oh, agreed. This must stop chain lightning to the face. And that's a nice combo for those that don't know. Uh, Guardian beast is protecting the chaos orb as it is destroyed. The beast is protecting it, as well as protecting the rocket launcher and keeping everything you have alive, right. except the beast itself when you pop your disc. Right, so when you pop the disc, it destroys everything listed on the disc, and the Guardian Beast protects your artifacts, and as they all take into the graveyard simultaneously, the Beast becomes a martyr and protects all of your artifacts that are non-creature and leaves them in play. And that would be including your Rocket Launcher, Chaos Orb, and probably a Jade of Tomb. Yes. Now, I will say um, one of the changes that I made to the uh, White Winnie list that is, I suppose, pretty standard across the board. Um, a lot of people play Tundra Wolves as their, their second one-drop to complement uh, Savannah Lions. And the all-star of the night was, in fact, Ication Javelinier. I was uh, chucking spears and drinking beers all night. Uh, I remember your drunken banter screaming very loudly, Ication Javelinier's all day. <laughs> I just remember you coming in the room telling me you're scre- telling Bob Maher about your stories of occasion Javelinier's. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Javelinier's does something that, that Tundra Wolves will never do. He is everything you want in an efficient utility one-drop. I mean, a lot of times he, was, he would come down and he was just a lightning rod. People would kill him before they would kill a pump knight, a white knight, what have you. He is as close as you will get in this format to something like a, a Mirage Guild Mage, something now, that is not only a threat, but also solid utility creature. Now, for those who don't know, can you explain what a Pump Knight is, Humphreys? A uh, Pump Knight, 
Fallen Empires, you have Order of Leaper, which is two white, two one. Protects you from black. Two white, plus one, plus zero until end of turn. One white, first strike until end of turn. There's also Order of the Ebon Hand, which is the black counterpart to that. Those are both from Fallen Empires. A very unexplored set in 93-94. That's, that's true. And uh, Evan and I, I believe we had a very uh, in-depth conversation in front of the Hyatt uh, Friday night about the merits of obscure cards and Fallen Empires. Hopefully it will be explored in the future. Um, I think there are some gems in there. I am yet to see a full-out Goblin deck in 93-94. That's a good point. I, I've not. I've heard of you know casual goblin decks you know being spotted at old school tournaments, but not doing well. But a lot of the old school information you get comes from Europe, which they're, as I understand, not keen on allowing fallen empires. And goblin grenade is a real card, especially in a, a format like like this. Also, the European rules are different than the rules in the United States. There's thicker on only uh, unlimited alpha beta only, and like original printings only. Like, le- obviously, legends and all the sets are allowed. There's no chronicles. There's none of this stuff like, over there. They don't allow revised. They don't allow fallen empires as a legal set, and they stay very traditional in the sense of only alpha beta, unlimited Arabian Nights, antiquities, and legends. Right. And that, that circles back to what we were hitting on earlier is that speaks of the inclusivity of the format. People want people to play. It's it's about playing that style of magic. Agreed. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, the beginning years, it was very much so a Wild West in the sense where people interpreted the rules in different ways. People saw value in different ways. Some people were playing for anti, some were not. And this is all pre-internet. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a difference in culture than today. To be honest, see a mix of different of printings was common. But when Revised was, was released, there was a huge influx during that time. Right, and that, that was, that was my, my time of starting as well, 94. And it, my understanding is there was actually, what, roughly 10 times or more Revised printed than Unlimited. I think Revised was in the hundred or hundreds of millions. Um, the Unlimited Edition, 40 million cards. And the Revised run was at 400 million cards. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I remembered about 10 times. Million. Yeah, 500 million cards. Um, so there's a lot of dual lands out there, etc. But anywho. Well, I talked to a lot of the people I played against, and myself included. I can't afford it. I don't I mean I can't afford it, but I don't want to get... Four Arabian Serendibs and, you know, like, beta dual lands and all that stuff. I can't afford all that realistically. Like, you're, you're talking about, at this, today's market, probably ten to $15,000 just going deep to play one format. Yeah, and, I mean, you can buy, like, a collector's edition, buy a collector's edition white weenie deck just in general uh, or get pretty dang close with revised thrown in as well for, you know, 200 bucks. I actually think Humphrey's Crusades RC. Thinking about it, I remember that, talking. That's about correct, it. actually. A lot of my, a lot of the cards I used were C. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the picture of my deck right here. Um, my White Knights are CE because they look cool. My Crusades are CE. My Chaos Orb is CE because that is the superior version of Chaos Orb. It has more surface area. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my Thunder Spirits are. Italian legends because I got sick deals on them. I do have English Thunder Spirits in some number, but those are the four that I have, and they match. I will say that it's 
White Weenie, if you go completely OG, is, is not a cheap deck. Beta White Knight is somewhere in the $25, $30 range, I, I believe. Savannah Lion is insane beta, although you could go unlimited, which is still fairly expensive. If I recall, I mean, look at look at unlimited J and Day tomes. If you just want unlimited J and Day tomes, right? Those are still like seventy dollars a piece, something something insane. Unlimited Savannah lines like twenty bucks, thirty bucks now. And the beta is one hundred or more, as I recall. You can kind of just make it what you want. There are people that just want that original aesthetic, and there's some people that just want to play, and there's some people that want to play revised and chronicles because you know it's what they played with or whatever. Correct. And everyone playing the format is just excited to be playing it. No one cares that you're playing Revised Crusades or 4th Edition Crusades even. Get in there. Play the game. I mean, everyone, to give you an idea what the room was like, most of the players were over 25, more so probably in the 30 to 40 range. A lot of veteran players, definitely some pro players, a lot of recognizable names, just a lot of interesting decks in general. And again, this wasn't a pub, so people are eating appetizers, enjoying drinks. In some cases, a lot of drinks. some cases, a lot of drinks. Uh, Humphreys, you definitely had a lot of drinks, and you still won the entire event. I, I took the, uh, the clean sweep. I, the only thing I recall about claiming my playmat and jam day tome is being told that Sean was announcing it and Jacob was announcing it and running in, double fisting pints, and Brian Plattenberg had to catch me to keep me from falling over. <laughs> I may have spilled beer on a few people, and if I did, I owe you a beer in the future. It may be in your lap, but I do owe it to you. <laughs> Rosenblade, do you want to share what you were playing? Um, I think I said it before, but I was on Blue, Green, Red, Burn with Kurt Apes and Staring to be Freets and Silver Libraries. And you have the, the, the goal of the deck is to just play a bunch of lightning bolts and then draw sevens and just burn them out. Gotcha. gotcha. Did you play Amnesia? I did not. I don't know that card even existed prior to the event. It's an amazing card. I, I will, wow, Steven. I will look into it in the future. Like, going after the event, realizing basically I had a nine-card sideboard and six of the cards in my sideboard were completely worthless, so I'm going to revisit the deck and now, I want to point out also, <clears throat> Stephen was not aware that Detonate exist, existed before 11 a.m. on Thursday when I handed him two Detonates and I said, you should play this card. So I, I have a lot of card reading to do going into next year, but I, I am stoked and I'm ready to battle for next year. Are there any cards, I guess, that kind of stick out to you after playing that maybe you would consider in your sideboard for next year or maybe would have put in work this time? Ication Javelineers. Ication Javelineers. Argothian Pixies? Is that how you say it? The 2 1 Pro Artifacts Man? Yeah, Argothian Pixies. He is a very good bear. That card is very, very good, and I got blown out by it. One card I wish I would have had. I wish I would have brought in my, my Chains of Mephistopheles. I think that card would have been great to have. Shuts down Library fast. Library is the best card in the format, hands down. It yeah. is absolutely. Um, for me, uh, library served as my ninth one drop. Uh, Greg Krager, uh, who, who finished seventh, by the way. Yes, it was Taxman Domination uh, Thursday. This time, but the, the Tusk will have their revenge. The Tusk will have their revenge. From, I've never prayed you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. 
why we fought, or why we died. No. All that matters is that two stood against many. That's what's important. Baba pleases you, Kram. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. Hey, hey. hey but you want to bring it, bring it. We ain't seeing <laughs> drama. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Greg insisted that I play the library, and I will say that it is an insane one drop for Lightwing. You just, it feels like you're drawing 10 extra cards, and. You're, you don't have to extend more than two to three threats and, and a crusade out, and you just play. You just play that slow, grindy type of beatdown against all these control decks, and you put out a, a couple of threats, and you say you deal with it or you die. And if they deal with it, you just drop a few more. I will say, uh, sideboard-wise, um, <clears throat> my sideboard half of it felt completely worthless. I I've kind of boarded in the dark. Black Vice, I knew was a good card against the deck and other control decks in this format. Uh, I ran a couple of copies of that. Balance was worthless. It's been co cut completely. For, um, for your deck in particular, but Balance is probably one of the best cards in the format. True, true. Uh, I also boarded Wrath of God, which is kind of a throwback to the old uh, Tom Chipang White Weenie from 96 Worlds. Um, I, if I recall, he boarded two. And I believe that was historically correct, but in the way that the format shapes up right now, everyone wants to play these super card advantage decks like the deck and um, or, or something along the lines of like the O'Brien school, Guardian Beast type stuff. And the need for Wrath, there's not a, enough aggro decks out there to, to warrant Wrath. And like, like, like it was back then where you were up against Arnhemgeddon and such, where their threats were superior, so even if you had board parity, you know, I've got three creatures, you have three creatures, oh shit, yours are bigger, Wrath, and I'll drop a Savannah line. It's not like that now. Not in this format. Well, there's a lot of these the J and Daytona Brain guys are S decks that just want to go super long game and kill you with the Hive, or like a two-up Sarah Angel of something of the sort. So it changes makes a lot of sense to me. A will o -Wisp actually put in some nice work for me uh, coming from a a not heavy blue, not heavy blue control aspect. So Evan, you were playing your um, signature Royal Assassin black deck, a four color jank deck. Okay, okay. I put together uh, uh, in extreme haste after not playing Magic for a couple months. So it, it was uh, one of my worst concoctions, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm I sure agree. it looks very nice. It looked good. It, it looked good. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't the strongest. There was – I had some good games. I met some great people. I was playing uh, some Guardian Beasts, of course. Uh picked up my third Guardian Beast at Eternal Weekend. There were a lot of good pickups to be had over the weekend. I, picked, I, I finished my set of All Hallows' Eve. I, there was a super – I mean, I got a good deal on – I got – I got Guardian Beast for sixty bucks, which was a steal. That is a steal. I remember yeah. seeing that Guardian Beast. Actually, it was. It looked big. like it'd been run over by a car. No, well, it doesn't have any like. Uh, yeah, it's got like the, the white weathering to it, but it doesn't have any physical damage to the card. And I'm I'm cool with that. I, I like my cards a little played at least. 
they just feel a little more uh, like realistic to me, I guess. But I did pick up two All Hallows Eves. One was thirty bucks, and one was thirty-five bucks. Uh, a solid, real solid, um, and they're like MP SP, so it was real sweet. Uh, so now I have four, and I'd like to move into the Reanimator deck, which I was kind of moving into before, which I was using like. Breeding Pit, Cabal Ghoul, Lord of the Pit, Animate Dead, Hell's Caretaker, Knowledge Bolt, uh, which was pretty sick. It kind of came to mind, and it was also brought to attention at the same time with the Zara Baghdad being used in Reanimator. With that in mind, All Hallows Eve with the Zara Baghdad is just nuts. It's sick. I think somebody in Europe has done something similar, but I got three Eurekas right now, uh, one in the mail. And then I have my four All Hallows Eves now. Eureka sounds pretty gross. Like, Eureka Elder Dragon would be sick. It's uh, very gross. There's there's not a lot of graveyard hate floating around also. Max out on duels in City of Brass, Stones, Moxon. Hopefully be able to pay your upkeep on your Elder Dragon. Not, not to sidetrack, but fucking, what about, I was thinking about fucking throwing Nicobolus in my fucking... Big red deck at the side of any little weekend. You know, that doesn't sound terrible. He's for reanimator, he's the equivalent of playing amnesia. Just like sneak sneak attack nickel bolus, dump your hands. Pretty sick. Oh my lord. <laughs> anyway. How about uh how about shocker? <laughs> you could hard cast that man. That's true. Uh I didn't see as many Saren D but Freaks on the floor. Last year. I, I didn't either, but that could lend itself to my main deck, King Solomon. Which, yeah. I, have I recall I drunkenly beat down Captain O'Brien with a King Solomon and a White Knight. You know, if you're holding Juzzlems, it's it's a bad man to be in play. You are ripping that vape. I am ripping the unmistakable vape. I'm also on uh, pint number three here. Is also his trademark vape. Don't get don't don't confuse this. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a vape policy actually at events. <clears throat> I will rip it inside the event hall and not give a fuck until someone says something. If someone says something, okay, we're good. But uh, all bets are off until that point. I actually asked my opponent uh, round two of vintage. You know, around yes, round two of vintage. If he minded, if I if I rip this thing while we're playing, he's like, I don't give a shit. My pickups on the weekend weren't nearly as good as yours, Evan. I had I got my second Arabian Urnum Gin for sixty five, which That's is something nice. I was looking for a while. And I got a bunch of like Misha's Factories and like Beta Disenchants and like Beta Blue Blast and a lot of like the small five dollars and under stuff that I needed for filler. Nice. So it's just. You know, stuff that's relatively hard to find for my, numbers. My pickups went pretty deep. I um, <clears throat> I had a mission in mind to, you know, acquire playable numbers of FBB duels. I've been rocking a uh, set of 40 revised for, for a long time. Some FBB Tundras at, I want to say, 375 and 400. Um, Non-blue. I already had the other blue uh, duels that I needed. Uh, most of the non-blues I picked up in the 130 to 150 range. Otherwise, I think the only thing I'm lacking now is, is Tegas. Definitely can respect that. You know, I'm, I'm still going to keep a full set of 40. Just the sets of four will be filled out with revised, but 
in, in today's legacy and in also most vintage decks, you don't need four of a duel. Three in, in most cases and two in a lot will, will suffice. I picked up another Bartel Runex. What is that? I'm an encyclopedia of magic cards, and I have no idea what you just said. Three colorless, one green, one red, one black. Runex cannot be the target of enchant creature spells. Attacking does not cause Bartel Runex to tap. Six, five. He, he cannot be spear-linked, but he can be plowed. Take his axe and just chop it through Ernoption's head. That's true. So Picked up uh, a half-dane. Just listing some of my weird pickups. You're familiar with half-dane, one colorless, one black, one blue, one white, chromium. When half-dane comes into play, it means a 3-3. During your upkeep, half-dane acquires the current power and toughness of target creature other than half-dane. If there are no legal targets, half-dane becomes 3-3. Pretty sick. Pretty sick. Sounds, sounds playable. Just been picking up some of the, like, I mean, I picked up the chains also. Not as exciting as Bartel Runex or Half-Dane. I picked up another Ring of Maroof, which I'd like to try in 12 post someday just to fuck up someone's well, mind. Chains is uh, just boring, right? Like, Chains and all these Legends cards, Chains, Moat, all these Legends staples are just boring. The price isn't going to change for a long time unless some, something drastic happens. That's correct. It's just, I don't know. I, I just don't get excited when someone shows me Legends cards anymore. Like, it is it is what it is, you know? Like, it's... I can look at a moat, and I'm like, oh, that's a moat. That's boring. I don't, want to, I don't want to touch it. Fourth, Arabian Nights, bottle of Suleiman. That, is, that, that is, is That's deep. That's deep. Are you going to, dude, are you going to build the coin flip deck? Uh, as I recall, there was a coin flip deck going dude, around. Circle protection artifacts. Two match my four circle protection artifacts. Two match my four circle protection artifacts. Go antiquity. Oh, my. Had to get it in there. That is sweet, Evan. I that is, I love that. I love that concept. Uh, picked up an acid rain. That's a good pickup as, as well. Acid rain is not expensive as far as reserveless cards go. Taxman. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those weird cards. Like I want to have in my binder when I look through my old cards at night before I sleep. That wonderful <laughs> chaos orbs. Uh, I bet. I bet Stephen curls up with his uh, taped-up beta emerald before going to bed. That thing is the trooper. It has survived, I don't know, for many years. Yeah, that that corner is barely hanging on there. Yeah, that emerald is sick. I got it for a, a firm... Sick five, has AIDS. I got, I got it for a firm 500 in trade. And I gave <laughs> made an underground scene and some standard garbage for it. I have no complaints. Ghost tap for green. I mean, you, you should have seen the one I had before that, that O'Brien now has possession of. That thing went through his sandblaster and back. <laughs> oh, is that part of his unlimited set that he's... Yeah, that was from his second set. Yeah, I gave it to him like at Gen Con. I know he's got Beta, he's got CE. Now he's, I'm not sure if he's been wrapped up unlimited yet. He probably has. He probably has. He had a lot of it done at Gen Con. I don't know when the next event he went to after that was, but it's not hard to find unlimited power. Yeah, we'll just assume he's finished it. But that, he, that he, has, he finished it at uh, GP Atlanta, I believe, or GP Louisville. Finished no, the unlimited set. I would definitely not imagine that would take long. So some of the sick prizes that were at the event, they had Illusionary Mask Unlimited, and that was for most creative deck at the old school event. Oh, that's a sick prize. Yeah, and all the cards, uh, just to clarify, if people aren't familiar, 
at these events, they're typically signed by all the players, which make them look way sicker. Yes, uh, my my tome in the real world might be worth in the your average alpha tome is what four or five hundred. This one is uh, infinitely more. It's kind of like actually small. considering I'm considering and sending it off to get greeted. That would be the ultimate pimp factor. I can see it now. Centering eight, surface zero. Send it for grading, and then right before Eternal Weekend, just crack that baby out of the fucking coffin. That'd be nice. Just, just, just get the little tab. You know, like I, I buy a lot of cards. Well, not a lot, but I've definitely bought my share of graded cards to break them free. I, I remember your candelabra. It was like a two point five or something obscene. Yeah, bro. Candelabra. <laughs> it was a big candelabra. <laughs> no, it was a three point four. I think two point five. I don't know. One of them was specific decimal points. <laughs> one was one was like yeah, like a four or a five, and one was like two or a three. It was bad, but it was. You but they look. They look pretty good. I mean, they're just they're they're old cards that somebody. Foolishly sent in to get graded that shouldn't have been. No, you don't. You send that stuff in to get graded to prove uh, 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 to prove Israel. That's all you do. Even with like beat power, I'll do it for beat power too. If I don't, if people don't know, like don't know me or don't know, don't know how to check. If you get it graded, they can't say differently. I'm not sure there are many people who would be looking for power that don't know who Stephen J. Rosenthal is. I don't know, but I've had people question it, and I go go to the vendors, go look at it, whatever. But in other cases, I've just had to get graded, too. And you know what? That that works. It can come back to five or six. It doesn't matter. It's real. That's all That's all I care about is they're not paying extra for it. I'm paying the extra to not deal with the hassle of people asking me a thousand questions. And that, so, that, that, that to me, is worth more than worth more than the money getting it graded. Agreed. Well, you're, you're talking about, you know, $1,000-plus cards, 25 bucks to get graded. It's not a big deal. Yeah, to prove myself 30 minutes, 30 minutes of a headache. It's a good $25 joke. That's that's the best $25 joke. I believe Krager actually, uh, Vintage Craig actually asked me if I was serious about sending it to get graded. And so, yeah, it's well worth 25 bucks just to plop it down on the table every time I play Magic and show a, a graded level 2 JM Day's home. I mean, I am going to want to play it, but you know, like, I kind of want to. I kind of want this thing just to be a trophy for a while, because it's so damn cool. And twenty five bucks, if I feel like tapping some tomes, I've got my my play tomes. And if I really want to tap that one, I'll crack it open. Whatever. So going back to the prizes. So the illusionary mask was for the unlimited illusionary mask was for most creative. For the old school event, it was the second place most creative winner, and then the first place most creative winner got a Arabian Nights Diamond Valley. That is sick. That's hot. Real hot. So, and again, signed, looks absolutely beautiful, and both are labeled as being the most creative to the place of the winner's rank. And the worst part of the old school tournament is Vintage Greg has a strip mine that he won many, many moons ago. Now now Humphreys has a tome. It's my turn to step up to the plate and try to win something out of all this. Yeah, i got to win something. Uh, I'm not even sure, like, what the best old school card for you would be. Um, I think just off the top of my head, just being a tax man, land tax is obviously a pretty pretty solid pickup. I do love some, some Red Blast in my life. <laughs> Okay, so let's go into some lists here. I'm kind of cruising through them now. I have found one already 
I think we should hop into. Well, whose deck is it? I'll, we'll, I'll scroll to, to it. Kevin Crone. Uh, okay. Green-white living plane combo. That sounds amazing. It All is right. All right. Pretty, it's pretty sick. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty fucking sick. So what we got is start with the land base. Four savannas, two forests, three plains, four strip mines. Correct. Two Mishra's factories, two Mishra's workshop, uh, library of Alexandria, and three tabernacles. Three tabbies. Oh my god, the way he has his deck laid out is giving me a migraine. Four winter orb, however. Four winter orbs, three living planes, which make all lands in play one one creatures. Hello, Tabernacle. <laughs> we have regrowth, two sylvan libraries, a chaos orb, a moat, just to make things interesting. Uh, we have five moxen lotus, soul ring. We have the hive, balance, three distant chance. Three Icy Manipulators, three Drop of Honey, one of my favorite cards. Wow. Those, those two main deck Dust to Dust are pretty deep. And two main Dust to Dust. And just to touch base on Dust to Dust real quickly, all participants of the event were given a Dust to Dust to have signed by their personal opponent round by round, which was very cool. Which I'm very proud of mine as it has a Sean O'Brien and Vintage Greg signature in gold. And Did you also play Steve and Indian too, Humphreys, or no? Um, I believe so. I don't recall some of my matches. I, mean, I do recall. <laughs> I do recall playing against the deck multiple times, and in the last round, I do recall game. Well, I barely recall getting up to go to the bathroom and having to be drugged back to the table after game one because I was I stopped by the bar to get a drink and chat up a waitress. Um, <laughs> But I think game one went something like turn three, Thunder Spirit, turn four, Geddon, good game. And game two, when it eventually happened, was turn one, Vice, turn two, Vice, good game. Black Vice is a beating. You were undefeated against the deck, correct? Correct. My my loss was against an artifact deck that um, I believe was round three. Again, a little hazy. One game... Ended with two Triskillians and a copy artifact on Triskillian, uh, just mauling me. Uh, going back to Kevin Crone's deck, sideboard, uh, Argavian Archaeologist, Four Swords, Three Avoid Fate, City in the Bottle, Maze of Vith, Disenchant, the North Star, I believe that is. And is that a, okay, I thought it was a pentagram of the ages. Uh, I've, just, I've just noticed something about his deck. Cursed Rack, yeah, what would you notice? Those tabernacles are Italian. Hey! <laughs> uh, for those that want to check it out online, it's at eternalcentral.com slash oldschoolew2016. Uh, we'll throw a link in the notes, I'm sure. I believe there's a blue-red electric eel aggro deck that would look very appealing to me. Yeah, so the eel is basically like Delver in 93 and 94. He's a beater. Same concept is there. Uh, that, that list looked very, very appealing. I like the concept of it a lot. Yeah, I'm actually scrolling through here. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I see Greg's deck right here. Well, let's go over Greg's deck, Urzatron. Yeah, it's very deep in the artifacts, as as Captain Krager is, typically. Greg is a man of Mishra's workshops. Yeah, so, Slash Panther, however, is not legal in this format. Greg Krager's list is sweet. He has five Moxin, Soaring, Lotus, Chaos Orb, Mana Vault. Four Suchi, two Icy Manipulators, two Disc, four Triskillion, 
four juggernauts, two coffins, four tetravis, four work, four uh, factories, four workshops, four strip mines, Library of Alexandria, City in a Bottle, all the Urza lands. I gotta stop here right here and say, looking at Greg's deck, I have no idea how I beat him. Also has three Clockwork Avians. Humphreys, I recall you strip mined him like two or three times during that game, and he had like three of the same Urza piece, and that's all he had. I, I think a game may have included disenchanting multiple Suchis as well. So the removal here is Triskillian, Dis, uh, Icy Manipulator, Orb, and Coffin. And then yes, Coffin, Coffin is creature control. I had it used against me uh, as creature control, and I had never experienced that, believe it or not. City in a bottle as well. Sideboard consists of a second City in the bottle, Maze of Ith, two more Dis, making a total of four uh, being available. Two mirror universes, two scepters, a force field, three relic barriers, island of walk walk, and two winter orbs. It's very aggressive. And yeah. you know, the winter orbs most people like to play the winter orbs in conjunction with relic barrier and the lack of relic barrier to in Craig's seventy five shows just how aggressive the deck is. He uh well there there are three relic barriers in the board. <clears throat> However, I think those are more uh there for an aggressive, more there to combat other artifact decks. His creature suite is just there to beat down. He's not playing any games. He's going straight for the throat. This list is fucking sick. I just play this too, but uh, I think an alternative to this approach would be four candelabras added as well. Coloss- oh. Colossus of Sardia. Also, Clockwork Evian does work. That it is a huge man. All of these, the Tetravis oh, Clockwork, Triskillian, yeah. they all combo with your coffin. And I think I think if you're trying to go Candelabra and um, Colossus, you might be trying to be too cute. Well, what I'm thinking is is a little bit of red for Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a Mox Ruby. What else do you want? Well, an Atog. So you, you put in a couple of Atogs, you put in a couple of Fireballs. At that point, you're going more of a combo build. Exactly. Yeah, you want to be more on the, the Star Wars stone plan with... I, I I agree, that's more of a combo shell, whereas Greg's is more of a, uh ancestor to the, the current incarnation of, say, shops. Or mud, yeah. There's, there's kind of two... I mean, the base point is the Urza lands, right? And then the workshops. It's a base of mana ramp. And then from there, do you go creature base or spell base? Right. There are many ways to do it, and I, I don't think any of the ways is necessarily wrong. I, I like this list. I prefer this one. I just think Atog is so sweet. Oh, uh, definitely. But I think from a from a standpoint of consistency, this this is the type of list you want. Yeah. There's just nothing worse than your Atog plowed after you go through the motions and trying to kill them with it. That's That would be the, the selling point not by Atog to me. That, I imagine the man who had his Atog plowed after sacking all the things would be a sad man. Play careful, though, with Atog. I wish I would have played it for 93-94 this year, but I just did not have time to brew. Uh, we got an Underworld Dreams deck. Those are always fun. Chris Moyer, four City of Brass, four Strip Mines, four Underground Sea, four Badlands. Uh, one Mishra's Factory, Black Lotus, four Moxon, No Pearl, Sol Ring, Tabernacle, uh, four Holly Mines, Chaos Orb, four Relic Barriers, four Winter Orbs, two Black Vices, not four, Time Twister, Time Walk, Ancestor Recall, Hercules Recall, Brain Geyser, Wheel of Fortune, Earthquake, two Winds of Chains, the Regrowth, two Sinkholes, four Underground uh, Dreams, my tutor for rituals. So I'm interested in only two black vices. Well, my sideboard only contained two black vices for this event. But this um, is an underworld dreams deck. Correct. 
You know, if I'm not mistaken, I may have played against Chris. If if Chris signs cards simply with Chris in blue ink pen, oh, blue ink pen in conjunction with the dark symbol, then then yes, I did. He was the moon as the sea in his name, so that's it's highly possible. I seem to remember playing against the man who cast Earthquake against me, as well as Dark Ritual. I surprised you, I'm surprised you remember that. Hey, I said may remember. Jeez, man, I'm looking at John's list, and it's just fucking brutal. Yeah, the O'Brien the O'Brien dot deck there is very sick. There, there are, in fact, a few pictures of insane things he was doing to people. I'm looking at this man's red-green aggro deck that it looks like it's unsleeved revised. Unsleeved revised deck. Yep, that's that. Where is he? I don't find his deck. So there was a man playing. His name is John White. God bless John White. <laughs> Clayton Bigsby would be proud. Yeah, he gets a salute. Uh, he was playing with no sleeves on pub tables throughout the event. After many men have consumed many drinks, and he had no fear, and there was a point where he explained to somebody that he was doing it the real way. <laughs> Just raw dogging it. Raw fucking dog. Uh, so John White, I found his deck online, and he has no sleeves, and uh, it feels good to look at. It's actually refreshing. Look at his deck. You're not wrong. Well, it generally <laughs> feels good when there's no protection, Evan. Dude, this man existed, you know, like, have everyone just totally fleshing out the most expensive deck they can. This guy, this guy makes it authentic again, or maybe not again, but he keeps it authentic. Uh, and uh, aesthetically, I think he's really helping the event. Especially keeping it, if people want to feel how it was back then, this guy's a martyr. Wow, yeah, I'm looking at, at Sean's deck right now, and Trudeau O'Brien form, not only does it look amazing as hell, it is also sick as hell. But he still died to Savannah Lions, nonetheless. He did, he did still die to Savannah Lions. I think he even remarked on that. Yeah, I did notice a lot of red-blue, kind of like aggro-based decks, kind of Bolchu, Serendibs, uh, counter spells, etc. cetera. Uh, that was prevalent. That was one of the best just base archetypes back then. A lot of Suicide Black. Then we had some of the decks. There's a lot of the deck in these pictures. There is a ton. I'm looking at uh, Sean's sideboard right now, and aside from the four glooms, which make me gloomy, I do notice... Two Aliopiles, which is a card that's often overlooked, but was played a lot at uh, Pro Tour 1, uh, due, not only due to the Fallen Empire's requirement, well, the set requirement of, uh, what was it, four or five cards from um, each set. Aliopiles is a solid card. It's It comes down, it just sits there, and either... Well, it comes down and either kills something or it, it discourages your opponent from playing anything that has two butt. Some man playing blue black, uh, a blue black deck did it to my whirling dervish, and I was very upset. Absolutely, I do love me some whirling dervish in the sideboard. <laughs> whirling dervish is really solid, actually. I had two in my sideboard, suicide black in particular, but it's just also just a good beater in general. It has to be dealt with, and it's oh yeah, if he's unchecked, he he gets very insane very fast. Cyclopean Tomb is a card that I'm personally feeling is maybe needing to see a little more play in general, but definitely in Suicide Black. If you have any sort of lead and you, and you have that online and you can start using it, it's just, you can just wreck people. I agree. Uh, for those uninitiated, it is a four colorless mono artifact. 
Um, turn target land into a swamp. Mark this land with a token. It is two colorless tap. Put oh, a counter on it. Okay. Um, and then when Cyclopean Tomb is destroyed, remove token from that land at that player's upkeep, and that you choose the token that's been removed, if I remember correctly. Does it change, like, a, a Mitra's factory to a swamp? Mm-hmm. So you turn, like, their Library of Alexandria and their Mitra factory and their forest into swamps, and they blow up the tomb. Then when they get to remove a counter, you actually choose which one. So he's like, okay, you get your you get your library back. You have three cards in your hand. Congratulations, you know. That's pretty, that's pretty dirty. I like it. Uh, but, speaking of speaking of slowing things down. Speaking of speaking of slowing things down. Star City recently uh, dropped an October surprise on us, I believe. Yeah, moving back into Legacy. Just hop in the time machine real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's a legacy, so I guess we'll, we'll touch base on some legacy here. So we can talk old school all night. Rip your vapes, throw your vapes in the air. Uh, like you just don't care. SCG, uh, once again, <laughs> SCG once again pulls out the scissors and takes another snip at the format that we enjoy called Legacy. Yeah, run. go ahead and run down the cuts, Evan. SCG has cut out the Legacy Classics, except at the actual Legacy Opens themselves. They have also cut out states. All store-based events. I believe they still have Legacy Classics right. at their team events, but that's not here nor there. Right. I will say this. I do like the, the introduction of the team-constructed events. I think that is a good addition. Right, so SC, and SCG has also cut out their IQs. As well now. Now, what about regionals? Regionals, I'm not sure. Like, this is like all territory. I'm not too sure about. But. It, it, it could be. I mean, I, I don't know all the complete details. Like, what jumped out of me immediately, obviously, was the legacy cuts. But if it says uh, the notes I have here says store events, and that that would include regionals. They probably did. They also cut their players' championship out altogether. Which is there's a lot less EV and grinding Star City for all the like the I'm not going to say names but there's an Atlanta grinder that posted in the the Facebook group that made a dumpster fire and that was pretty amusing to read. <laughs> I, I but I did read that thread and but, it made me think you know what but, you're playing the format for the wrong reasons for starters. But but for grinders of him and peop of people that people grind out Star City for value and try to be on this. Just like their 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 pro tour, they cut that out altogether, and they so there's no there's not value in that anymore. Well, you know, there's if there are drawbacks and repercussions for trying to grind out minimum wage magic. Also, their invitationals went from four to two per year, and the instead of being hosted like in Jersey and Indy and all over the place, now they're just going to be in Roanoke, I believe. You know, being being that we're driving up from Atlanta, if we were to participate in that, which I will also go further in depth into that in a mo- in a moment, that's that's actually better, I think, for anyone on the East Coast. It's a central location. I mean, that's the entire reason Washington D.C. is our capital. It was the center of the country at the time. Star City is concentrated on the East Coast. Roanoke is roughly the center of the East Coast. Well, I'll let Evan get back to explaining it, but that's what I. I felt he excluded out of it. That was one of the selling points to 
to me and a lot of grinders I know. Well, I don't play anymore, but there's a lot of grinders I know that go to Star City events trying to be on their pro tour, and now there's no incentive for these people to do that anymore. Um, there's only two Legacy Opens a year, down from the three. Uh, there's only two Invitationals a year, something called Supers, which apparently most stores will not be able to afford. All right, and the the IQs, uh, if the, the numbers I, I recall off the top of my head are, you had to roughly have 30, have 30 to 32 people in order for an IQ to break even if you paid for that package. And a lot of stores, being that there's so many events running around, PPTQs, uh, you know, your random, say, win, win condition, uh, monthly legacy, whatever, there's so many events on any given weekend for a lot of stores, getting 30-some-odd people might be a hard threshold to meet. Also, Humphreys, there's, uh, I want to touch on the Supers in a second, too, after this, so bear so bear with me. There's a lot of IQs and stuff that are holding like places like Dalton and just like just dismal to go to. They're like, you know, hour and a half, into hour, two hours to get there. And it's almost not worth it to you top eight and get six booster packs of standard, right? Right. So that that's also a turnoff for me is going was going to these events is you drive two you know two to three hours round trip, lose in top eight to get you know six packs of standard or what, right with your packs. legacy deck so you can qualify to play standard and modern modern. Um yeah so that that was a turnoff that was one of the bigger turnoffs for me when I stopped playing in their events like a while ago. And the super, the supers were there originally when the IQ circuit first started. There was IQs and super IQs, and the super IQs had like double payouts and were just insane EV. But like you said, a lot of stores couldn't afford them, so there's maybe like one a month, if even that. Where every regular IQs were like just wildfire; they were everywhere. Right, and this was before that had to compete with the store-based PTQ system that we have now. Yes, this is when you had your original PTQ system in place, and not this. This you have to win the tournament to get entry to the other one system. Right. But a lot of the, a lot of these stores will never get the, they'll never get the attendance really to afford the supers, the super IQs. You have to advertise, and a lot of these stores don't they don't take the time to advertise their events. They're just super lax, and they'll make like a you know like a Facebook group or a post or whatever, and hope it spreads that word of mouth. You can't you have there's no way to advertise it correctly. Right. And especially in the age of the internet, your advertising has to be better than that. This isn't 1995 where we're just driving around to Jim Bob's card shop and playing for a booster box. This is, you know, you have Facebook, you have a website, you have all these things at your disposal. I, I do know that the, the SCG circuit has basically provided a, a marketing outlet for a lot of these stores where... You sign up, and essentially, CG is doing a lot of the word of mouth for you, where, you know, it's being advertised, a lot of people checking their site, et cetera, where the events are and whatnot. They're almost like a event coordinator, and the stores are paying a fee, although it would probably be cheaper for the store to host it themselves, but there isn't that correlation also outside of the marketing where they're able to the players themselves grind into higher tier events. Now, with the grinders, are they just going to be playing less competitive magic? I believe they're going to have to focus their efforts elsewhere. There's no value left. There's no weekly, hey, let's trip down to, you know, X, Y, or Z store that's 
one, two, three hours away to play a Star City. To find somewhere else, somewhere else to get your grinding value out. Right. I asked that just kind of in correlation to here in Atlanta, we have a lot of legacy slash grinders actually. So a lot of people actually really enjoy legacy and want to play, but you know have to practice for the weekend, stay tight on their you know standard modern whatever stuff that they have going on. Curious if this might open a some room for you know attendance to grow or whatnot with uh, some of the eternal formats. Well, if if you want to know my my entire take on the Star City thing, the the overarching theme on on the internet, uh, predominantly on Reddit right now, is oh my god, this is Star City trying to kill Legacy. I've posted myself that it is a a flagrant pump and dump. I sort of felt that way at the last cut that they made to Legacy. Correlation is not causation. This game nor any of its formats, are going to die based on any third-party tournament host. The only people that can kill this game are the player base or Wizards themselves. Evan, you and I have both seen this game go through so many times when it was the death of Magic. There was Fallen Empires. There was Kamigawa Block, the Affinity Fiasco. Wasn't Chronicles also the death of Magic? Chron- Chronicles was also a what the what the fuck is going on point in time. I'm a, I'm a baby to Magic. I started in 06, so I probably have like no say in this. But I remember people talking about Chronicles being just slashing prices to pennies. It was a patch of dime connected to Fallen Empires in Fourth Edition, but yes. Yeah, it, it was. That's that's exactly what it was. It was the bridge from the Fallen Empires of what the fuck is going on to the Fourth Edition of shit. But even in more recent memory, there was the Dreamblade fiasco where Wizards lost so much money on that game that they went balls deep on and cut the Pro Tour from five a year to three. But you know, a lot of people don't don't think about the history of this game. It's, it's sustained by the community, by the players. There was a point in time when Standard was irrelevant to the Pro Tour. You couldn't qualify for the Pro Tour playing Standard outside of top four nationals and doing well at Worlds. What I see here is this is Star City having to stop themselves from hemorrhaging money. They started off in the 90s. They were Their site was not good. The articles were crap, the prices were meh, and they made good business decisions. They turned that franchise around, and they they did things right. They revived an entire format. They renewed interest in, in, uh, in 1.5, but they've become the blockbuster of the, of the Magic the Gathering market. They have not adapted to what their competitors have done. TCG kills them on price. And if you go through the correct vendor, you're getting the same quality product. It's – I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm no, go off. ahead. Uh, it's not price per se. It's the fact every mom-and-pop vendor, anyone with a backpack and a smartphone, could throw their cards up on TCG Player and be a store by technicality. Right. So, And then and their goal is to undercut you by $5 to sell their product faster because they can't afford not to eat ramen for that week. Right, and if they have less overhead, they can afford to do it. And Star City hasn't adapted to that format. That's why I said that the blockbuster of the market. They thought they were big enough. They thought they were enough of a of a franchise to sustain what they had been doing. And instead of being adaptive, they've been reactive. 
They no, they still are a blockbuster. Them and Channel Fireball are the forerunners, I believe, in their respective regions for pricing. And right, but we all know what happened to Blockbuster. Now there's a red box on every corner. Agreed. But and the age of the internet caught up to them, and like you said, you can't keep up with progress. It's just they got people right. adapted too quickly and caught on to their game. Well, you know, my take on it is everything that Star City does well, they run great tournaments. They do great Grand Prix. They're, you know, when they have a Legacy open, I'll go. I'll play Legacy. If I feel inclined to play Modern, despite the current dumpster fire state of the format, I will. Standard, likewise, any format, I will play an event they run because they run events well. But I will not support them financially. I will not buy their cards. I will not sell them cards. I will take, if, if Star City is buying Polluted Delta for 13 and a vendor down the road is buying it for 12, I'll sell it for 12 because I'm not going to contribute to their business. I'm only, going to, I'm only looking out for me when I'm dealing with them from now on. A lot of the tournament players have that mindset, though, too. It's not just you. It's to, right. Everyone's in uproar about this. You, you have to vote with your wallet. They are a business, and from my perspective, if you're a legacy player, despite what formats you play, if you play, if you play every format there is, which I do, I will play any format so long as it is interesting and competitive. If they don't support you, you don't support them. And I feel like right now, if you love legacy as a format... They don't support you. So go to their events because they run them well, but do it for you. Don't support them in any other, in any other financial endeavor. I'm also going to touch up on this, too. They also did this before when they cut back their the, the legacy from the Invitationals. Everyone thought the sky was falling because they dumped legacy from the Envies. But in reality, it was more for card selection, more for card, because like, a lot of people can't afford legacy decks playing these tournaments. So they're bumming cards from other people and so forth, and they, it just came too much of a hassle. So that's why they cut it, I believe. But a lot of people thought the sky was falling. So they fire sold their dual lands. I remember seeing underground seasons being sold for you know fifty to seventy five dollars right after this happened. Sploosh. I uh, and then like you know what the Star City did? They bought them all cheap. They bought them all for pennies, and they doubled their prices within the next couple months. Exactly. I mean, I when when that happened initially, uh, at the at the point in time that you're referring to, I fully expect them to expected them once modern was dropped as a pro tour format to pick legacy back up, just to execute another <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street style pump and dump. But but this isn't this isn't news to me that they're they're doing this. And like if you pay attention to the trends, they've been having less and less legacy events and just not telling people. If you don't read the schedule and read, like, pay attention to, like, what's going on in, like, their modern, like, their, their scheduling system, their calendars, but they haven't had a legacy event. In it, yeah, the last legacy open, I believe, was uh, Philadelphia. There's one coming up next week, which is Baltimore, which I was contemplating going to, and now I will not. Um, but well, they just, people should still go. They, they should, and, and I, I say that uh, kind of as an asshole. But there are also other reasons influencing me not to go. But this this definitely aids my decision. I mean, so from their perspective, they're looking at it as, okay, so they have classics, and the legacy classics do worse than the other formats. Well, now, there's, there's actually some data out there. Um, <clears throat> Lord of the Pit 23 on Blogspot has an excellent uh, report dating back 
years, showing how legacy has outperformed other other formats. I've also seen multiple posts on Reddit, which have uh, reflected how legacy has performed as far as from the from the establishment of classics forward in comparison to other formats. And legacy has actually been performing very well. That's why I feel like Star City is kind of taking a dump on the players that they initially were coddling. They were saying, hey, we support this format, we support you, you support us, it's all good. And now they're just, you're being dropped like panties on prom night. I mean, Humphreys, I agree and disagree with you. A lot of the legacy players have a 9-to-5. They can't, they can't realistically get, you know, days out of their week to travel to Baltimore to play in this Open, especially if they have a family. That's true. And they don't really spend money on cards because they have everything, or if they don't have something, it's like the cheap stuff. Like, when I buy cards, I don't buy dual ends and high-end stuff. I buy the $5 Mickey Mouse stuff because I don't have commons on commons. I don't have Young Pyromancers in my collection. I had to go buy those. Those were a dollar each. I don't, but I have all the expensive stuff in my deck already. Yeah, what about stuff like Natural Order or Sneak Attack or, you know what I mean, like the... Uh, but those all got printed to Oblivion. Like, they just keep printing all these staples in Oblivion, making the format more open. But there's 20 to $30 pickups that I think some legacy players still pick up to, like, you know, expand. I have, yeah. Like, I'm getting Berserks, you know, right now, because Berserks are, like, $10. They're, like, $15, something insane right now. It's true. Well, you know, I want to point out, <clears throat> there's no Star City Tour in Europe. And Europe has a very very healthy legacy community. There are a lot of other TOs that are stepping up already. You've got Tales of Adventure and Black Magic working something with uh, with their tournament series, Eternal Extravaganza, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yes, correct. There's, there's a market here, and I think I don't necessarily wish ill on Star City, but I do wish they would reevaluate their decisions, and I will not support them until they change their direction. Um, but other other TOs are going to step up. It's a free market. Somebody will step up some there because there's money to be made there, and they may even do it better. The thing is, Humphreys, is, here's my two cents. You can take it or leave it. Um, it's an open market, but Star City is a lot on their plate as it is, managing their open series and managing stand, juggling the invitationals and standard and modern and so forth. That It's hard to put attention in all three formats respectively equally. Right, maybe it is maybe it is time that they pass the torch to someone who really wants to, not only in the interest of profit, but in the interest of I have a passion for this, who wants to organize a legacy uh tour, so to speak. So my my two cents on this is for the better for the community that they dropped it for good. Because now someone else can pick it up and truly give it the attention it needs instead of having it just be a half fast project. Right. Which I can is, see that point of view. That's I mean, that's, I greatly appreciate. I greatly appreciate tales for what they're doing, and I think it's you're going to see a lot of growth in legacy as a whole because of this, because the community is coming together. But Star City left the stigma with all these eternal players that now all these like you and I'm sure a lot of people have this impression of Star City of they're the bad guys. They did this. Well, I'm not saying they're the bad guys. I'm, I'm saying that they made a decision which negatively impacts me. And I'm going to make decisions based on that that will negatively impact them. But a lot of people are boycotting Star City because of that. This is what I've read up on. I am, I am most definitely not calling for a boycott. Boycott. One, I do not believe in boycotts. Two, 
anyone who knows me knows that I am not only a person who is an absolute capitalist and believes in maximizing profit. Taxman. Exactly. But I also have principles. And my principles are, if you treat me well, I treat you well. And if you do right by me business-wise, I do right by you. But if you don't support me, I don't support you. And if you're not running legacy events, which is my preferred format, which is what I love, which is, I had a, hell, half the reason I play this game, because I love the format. I love tapping my dual lands. If my opening hand isn't more than, than your monthly income, Taxman. I'm not happy. Taxman. Exactly. Yeah. You have to, you have to, when, when a business makes decisions that negatively impact you, you take your business away. You vote with your wallet. No, of course. I, I think one thing that should be, here's the one thing that I think legacy community gets caught up on. Just to clarify, I think we already touched base on it, but just to push it a little further is that Star City Games is cutting a whole bunch of shit. Like, they're not just cutting legacy. There seems to be an issue. Finances. Finances, I guess, is just the best way to put it at this point. I want to clarify, I do not wish Star City failure. They won't fail. It's they won't fail. They're, it's not at the point where I think they're going to just crumble to dust or anything, but I, I think that they might have got a little overambitious at some point and things changed in the market where also, to be, TCG, et cetera. To be fair, Evan, it's not just Star City. It's most vendors can't keep up with the, the, the evolution of TCG player. Now that they have their buy list, they, they give you the buy list of your cards on there. You can get from, you know, a, you know, a thousand different stores the same card. It's not just Star City. It's everyone. Mostly everyone is suffering the same problem. It is a cutthroat market right now. It really is. Like a depression in the market. Everyone wants, everyone wants to sell you their stealth guides to the world. You know, it's not just Star City trying to sell theirs. It's every every guy with a backpack. But the the issue, the I think the the overarching issue that Star City has had is they relied on the name to be able to charge that Star City premium. You know that that our card is one or two dollars more because we're Star City and you you know you're getting quality and people have kind of forgotten that name because there's so much competition now. And I don't know exactly what Star City has to do to fix to fix the problem, whatever the problem may be. I don't know their the exact layout of their finances, but I hope they fix it just because I hope anybody who can make intelligent decisions, which they clearly have in the past, can continue to make those intelligent decisions and succeed. You know, I want them to be able to be around and to bring back legacy as as a format they endorse. And if they don't, someone may step up and they may do it better, and they'll succeed and they'll make money. And I'll be happy with them. I'll be proud of them. I'll endorse them. I'll support them. I think the internet, the internet being the angry mob it is, is going to ruin them in the end. If not ruin them, it's going to give them a revelation of what they what they should have done correctly the first time. Well, you know what that happens? That happens, and you made your own bed, you lie in it. But just to recap, with Tales of Adventure picking it up, I think picking Legacy up, this is an amazing improvement for the community and the player base, and I I look forward to seeing to seeing how this unravels in the next. Yeah, Evan, can you go into in depth on the um, Tales of Adventure Black Magic venture with Eternal Extravaganza? Uh, real quickly, just to touch on SCG one last time, I guess where we were kind of curious about. How well it was doing is based on this quote uh, from Peter Hopling regarding all the change. Oh, this is a good quote. This is a good uh, quote. You linked it to me earlier. Uh, quote, however, 
We knew that if we were unable to accomplish the latter, there was a very real possibility we'd have to discontinue the entire SCG tour at the end of this year. I think that speaks volumes. It's not a correlation to causation. This right. is This is a Star City problem, not a legacy problem. All right, so Tales of Adventure has kind of picked up legacy a bit. And just kind of moving back to what Humphreys was saying about voting with your wallet, and, you know, obviously not promoting any sort of boycott or whatnot, but, you know, voting with your wallet. Tales of Adventure is where I personally believe and have spoken to that people should really consider pushing their online purchases towards Tales of Adventure at this point because uh, they have come through. Every time SCT has made an announcement of taking away Legacy within 24 hours or less, Tales of Adventure has made a strong post about picking up Legacy. They're the host of uh, Eternal Extravaganza, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. That tournament series reminds me a lot of the Bizarre Moxon series, which which has had in Europe. That is so much more grassroots than it is marketing. These guys, I've dealt with these guys in multiple to- multiple uh, tournaments, multiple venues, and multiple over the years, as well as Black Magic Gaming, and which uh, this appears to be now a joint venture between the two. These guys make money. They love the game. You talk to these guys, you deal with these guys, you try to negotiate and buy from them, and you can tell just through your interactions, these are players who became dealers, not dealers who were there to make a buck. I actually bought those two, uh, All Hollows Z's and the Guardian Beast from Black Magic Games. Uh, and they had, I would say, the best prices on the floor. Calvin, does, Calvin has very, very good prices. Calvin's a good guy. I sell a lot of Tales of Adventure. I've sold, I've, will continue to sell them in mass volume all the time. They're wonderful people to work with. And I, every year I, w- I would love to go to Eternal Extravaganza. I try to if I can, if I can help it. Absolutely. I cannot walk up to a Tales of Adventure booth at any event and not be asked, so what Japanese cards are you looking for? I'm definitely going to make a trip to Eternal Extravaganza next, next time. Um, it, and the payout, Eben, they give like a Lotus to first place in Vintage and stuff like that. Like the payouts aren't garbage. The payouts are insane, EV. Well, they've launched their satellite series, which I believe actually was last year. They, they did, but I think they've the um, extension of it that they just announced is a lot more is a lot deeper. Well, and they're getting stores involved now. Yes, which is the big change. So now they're offering bronze, silver. Ranks? Yes, yes. They're so similar to the Star City uh, IQ system. They're offering different levels. It sounds like TCG players states from a few years back when they had, like, you know, like bronze, silver, and gold level events. I think platinum, I think, was the highest level they had. Yes. So it was four, it was four tiers of whatever event would be, and you got points based on your payout. Or based on your, like, first, like, get X points and stuff. Spiral it down. Right. It, it starts with the bronze, and the bronze is more of a supplement to your weekly legacy tournament that you're hosting with four rounds, no cut. That would be sick if we can get Giga or like. Some, um, some they actually already have. Cy, Cy Johnson has, has already said that he believes it to be a no brainer that he picked that up and he well, starts supporting them. Exactly. Yeah, he's picked up bronze, and they're going to be talking to them about silver and gold. Uh, win condition games. 
So in Atlanta, we already have two stores that are signed on. For, as far as I'm concerned, those are the only two stores for Weekly Legacy that matter to me. Does other ones have shown no interest in improving their player base or helping out? I think Titan Games attempts, and they, they get their little crowd, and, and that's great. It's in a different area. Titan Games does, yeah, and, and that's, that's understandable that someone on that side of the city would because for those of you who do not live in the Atlanta area, it is some of the worst traffic in the country. Um, to get from Titan Games to... Wind condition games might take you two to three hours on a weekday, although it is only a, what, 55-mile trip? When we drive to Legacy from Atlanta, it takes us about 30 to, well, typically around 30 to 45 minutes, but on bad days, it can be an hour and a half. That's so brutal. Yep, and we do it weekly, so, but... That's, that's love of the game right there. <laughs> a lot of passionate Legacy players in Atlanta, uh... Like we just mentioned, there's three stores that fire weekly. So, like to, to frame it for those of you who, who haven't experienced it, to get to Gigabytes, Gigabytes is off of uh, what exit 265 in Marietta, downtown Atlanta. Let's say the Grady Memorial Hospital exit is 249. So you're looking at less than 20 miles from the Gigabytes exit to Wind Condition is what's that exit 273? So 265 to 273, eight miles. The additional time that it takes to go that distance does not warrant setting out to make that trip because it's so freaking long and congested. But we've got a lot of dedicated players in Atlanta that will drive insane distances and time for love of the game. That's important, you know, for a legacy community. And, you know, touching on this whole Tales of Adventure topic, it's important for players that are involved in their legacy community you know, maybe take initiative or whatnot to bring this to the attention of their local stores. If you're in different groups of different cities that play Legacy, you know, maybe post Tales of Adventure post. We'll have a link in the show notes and just kind of get the word out. I think we're all at kind of a grassroots stage right now, and this could be something huge. The Tales of Adventure has shown passion and care for Legacy and genuinely wants to see the community grow as well as the format. So it's important that we all play our role and also just participate in these events. So, right. I, I, if it if it takes your store running, you know, fifteen proxy events to get Legacy off the ground, do it. Run a casual event. Personally, I don't care if I'm playing against somebody who's running some proxies. You know, as long as they're getting interested in the format, they're going to make that purchase eventually. They're going to jump into the format. They're going to see the depth that Legacy has in comparison to these other formats. They're going to see, wow, it's not just jam creatures and attack. It is make solid lines of play. It is. It requires thought. It requires thinking three, four turns in advance. It requires thinking about what your opponent should be playing or may be playing. Collectible card games are concerned. It is the perfect melding, in my opinion, of poker and chess. If you can get the players interested, they'll buy into it. They'll see the value in it. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Humphreys, because Eternal Crab against is vintage is 15 proxy. And I don't care if you're playing with a proxy and mox jet. As long as I'm playing vintage, I'm happy. Exactly. And I think stores should pick up more in the 15th, the, the proxy events is like a, a gateway, so to speak, to get people in the door and play more. I would love to have bigger, I would love to have 40-man vintage events. I don't care if there's 15 proxy. I just want people to play Magic with. I just enjoy the format I want to play. Right. If they, it's it's a buyer's market. If they, um, if they deem it worth 
investing that money in those, in those cards, they will. If they enjoy that format, if they want to go to Vintage Champs, if they want to if they want to, like, if they want to go get trashy with Krager and Humphreys on Eternal Weekend for four days, which is a blast, mind you, but not it recommended. Is, it is. I re- no, I do recommend it. I mean, so what we have right now is Eternal Weekend, right? Is our is our main thing at this point? It is, and I I want to I want to issue the challenge to Wizards, in part based on the type of people they have, people and former players they have working for them. Support this. This is the heritage of the game that you create. You have, you have former players, professional and not, working for you. Who this is the, what they grew up on. This is this is the foundation of your game. Support Eternal Weekend. Give it the kind of prize payout that a GP has. I mean, it's cool they try to do something interesting or different with the painting, but I know what you're saying. I guess my point is, bring up Eternal Weekend. Is what if the Eternal Extravaganza event itself? you know, continues with success and is able to take over a venue of that size or something similar. And then you basically have the backbone with the connection to these these smaller bronze, silver, gold events. Well, I think what tells momentum. What tells us did is ingenious. Now they're prom- they're promoting their event without actually saying a word about it. So uh, I believe their attendance next year will be double, if not triple, what it, what they're used to seeing. Well, yeah, because now you have people that, oh, I earned a buy, you know, playing – Legacy, and I think I can get that date off. I think I'll just go to Eternal Extravaganza. Yeah, or like, you know, like we went to Philly, we all just get plane tickets and then just go as a group of eight or ten people. You know, like that wasn't, that was incredibly fun to me. Right. Absolutely. It was, it, um, the last year that Eternal Weekend was in Philly was incredibly fun for me, except for sitting next to you on the plane, Rosenthal. That was kind of miserable. I mean, I. <laughs> Airplanes are miserable in general, but yes, I agree. Well, uh, airplanes are only miserable for you because, if, for those of you who don't know, Steve Rosenthal is a uh, a brown Jewish man, and <laughs> I am a large man. Enhanced airport security screening is like that's his thing. <laughs> uh, if, I never not get pulled over for additional screening or my bag gets checked every single time. Oh Lord. I'm pretty sure I'm like 15 for 15 for getting checked. You're betting a thousand on enhanced security. <laughs> I think everyone's getting checked at the Columbus airport. They were pretty. They kind of like the small town mentality. Well, yeah, you know, I think that's another thing that uh, that hurt Eternal Weekend uh, attendance. Honestly, is Columbus is not an easy city to get to. You know, if tickets from Atlanta round trip. When when I was looking, are in the 250 range. I imagine from from the busiest airport in the country, roughly, it, it has to be insane from some other places. Right. Like God forbid, I was flying out of Syracuse for Eternal Weekend. There's no way I would go. It would be a 400 dollar flight at least. There's some some light challenges, I guess, with with the timing and location versus Philly last year, but. I had a good time, and I think attendance was was good. I mean, there's what like 700 legacy players or something, like 650 to 700 players for legacy. There, there was enough that they paid out the top 64, so it was it was over 650. Yeah, so it was close to seven. That's it was, it was the size of what would now be a small GP, and used to be the size of a large GP. And I mean, that's pretty damn good for Halloween weekend. And they had they had what like 400 ish for vintage, like sanctioned vintage. There was more than that, I believe. There was close to six, if I recall correctly. Like, really? You sure? It felt like there were a lot. I mean, I don't. 
I could be wrong. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it felt like there, it was it was nine rounds. My, my gorilla math says like four hundred to four fifty, but I'm probably a thousand percent wrong. Probably a gorillion off. But <laughs> but regardless of the fact that that the vintage is getting that that much attention and there's that much sanctioned vintage in the room. Just imagine next year's attendance, you know? like yeah, there, there should be no doubt in people's mind that these are healthy formats, and you should have no qualms about getting into it if you've been thinking about pulling the trigger, especially right now while these apes are getting are, are like, oh, my God, Legacy's dead. I'm going to fire sell my dual lands. Get in there, guys. Get in there. We'll be happy to have you. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in, Donnie. Not even that. Like, I've seen people with standard and modern collections that, you know, that, or you know, two thousand dollars and just assorted staples of just cards that you know, like Golgari Grave Trolls and Blood Gas and all these like this, all these modern decks that have no business being Blood Gas, not what it should be. Sell them and buy power. Get out of it. Figure some way to maximize their value and buy buy into Moxes. You're not you're not going to regret it. Yeah, you know, this is that's actually a topic that uh, Evan and I touched on, well, and, and Greg touched on uh, Friday night, I believe. Uh, when I was busy stealing mops and other things. You are um, a drunk kleptomaniac. I'll give you that. I am. It, it appears that, like, when I get drunk, I just like to just take random things that have no value. <laughs> and I thought about putting that mop in the bed with Chris, Chris Langston, but I realized very quickly that that was the spot that I was going to sleep in. <laughs> so, so I better put it somewhere else. <laughs> Um, but Moppy, Moppy did make trip, multiple trips around the hotel. Chris insisted that I should not steal hotel property. I pointed out to him that as long as it is in the hotel, it is not stolen. Whoa. That's deep. That's deep. Law and order. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure many people at, uh, at the old school tournament are aware. Vintage Greg and I went out after it was over. I'm aware. I was in your hotel. Steve J. Rosenthal is aware because he got woken up. In a violent manner, I believe. Uh, Chris Langston may or may not have had his back scratched, and Harambe memes shouted in memes shouted into his ear. Sounds like a good time. Well, somebody had a good time. But, uh, Greg managed to get us kicked out of a uh, out of a bar by three police officers. It was a it was a very lit weekend for the tax men. I mean, you and Greg know how to party. I'll, I'll leave it at that. You know, and and. I don't believe either of us are like that unless we're together. It's, it's no. messed up. It's like a self-perpetuating, like, if anybody in the uh, Eternal Magic community wants to have a good time drinking, I invite you to go out with Vintage Craig and one Ziggy Humphreys. Oh, Louis, GP Louisville is going to just be a complete dumpster fire as far as being sober. I promise oh, you. Oh, I, I, I believe Vegas might actually turn out to be worse. I, I, told, uh, I told Jennifer the other day that, Vegas may end with Greg and I on a sidewalk covered with hours and other people's bodily fluids, drunk out of our minds and possibly dead. That's what makes you happy. More power to you. <laughs> All right, at least to be happy for a moment. <laughs> That's deep. Law and order. Yes, but Danger. touching back on the topic of finance or something. Yeah, that that was a topic we brought up, and that could be an entirely different cast like there's so many tips and tricks of the trade that i want to unload on people and anyone who knows me or has interacted with with me will know that i have no qualms about telling you like what you should do we should schedule that another time
because that yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to help everybody and anybody who can and has the the drive and the will to do it to make magic a self-sustaining financial hobby. You know, pay for your trip with your hobby. Well, why don't you break down the taxman a little bit? The taxman. The taxman. Um, it was originally brought up as uh, sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing by, by Team Tusk. You guys wanted to uh, have this sort of like WCW team rivalry thing, uh, NWO versus, uh, I don't remember who they hated back in the day, but it started as a sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing, and myself and Rosenthal, John Jansen, we, we kind of ran with it as, you know, being that we're the uh, most get the maximum value out of everything hardcore Jewish men in, in the Atlanta area, I believe. Um, we, we operate on the philosophy that the only number that matters is the one that comes behind the dollar sign. If you go to a tournament and you scrub out on day one at that GP, it doesn't matter so long as you're up on the weekend. You know, winning is great, Making money's better. Touching on that, the amount of GPs I went to and the tournaments I went to over this past year, which I did the math, it's like 24 weeks this year I, I spent that on Magic events. The tournament weekend was the first one I enjoyed out of a very, very long time. I actually got to like relax and not be just grinding out, grinding out nickels, so to speak, and getting, getting <laughs> making your money. Absolutely. Like, floor trading is not what it used to be. It's not what it was when I was doing it in the late 90s. I, there's a whole nother, I mean, this is a whole nother segment, but because there's, there's so much, it's so much inside detail in that, in that, what you just said. And there's a thousand different, there's, I can go for hours upon explaining this to you. I know you can. We talked for about eight hours on the way back from Columbus about it. <laughs> it's not something I recommend to people, but if you have to, you do you. Uh, but Eternal Beacon was the first tournament I've actually enjoyed myself out of, I can't even imagine, over the course of like six months easily. Well, I enjoyed myself at GP Columbus, but there were multiple other reasons for that. And we shouldn't go into detail on that either. That's not, that's not here nor there. <laughs> exactly. Well, it is there, but not here. There. <laughs> there. Um. But to everyone that's afraid of picking up moxes and, you know, cards that are value over $500, don't be afraid. But don't jump in head first. Take it slow and do your research and then, get, then, then look into it. Then that's right. right. Do it in a way that makes sense. Don't, don't just fire sell everything and just go buy, you know, your mox sapphire and have nothing to show for it. Right. You can, you can make it work. You just have to put the work in. If you just do your research and, you know, break it down in such a manner where – you're happy with the numbers you're getting, and you're and you're getting a, a Mox Ruby or whatever generic Mox you want. It's a slow process getting power. It's not an overnight thing. It's it'll cost about ten grand, but you're so much so much happier at the end of the day. Right. And I can't emphasize that to people enough. Of I didn't pay anything for my power. I I got it all by nickel grinding. Right. It's all sweat equity. That's all me putting you know my life you know in a binder for so long and grinding it out for small margins and percentages just to try to get, you know, try to get enough to get a Lotus or so forth. And if I have, I, that's how I got my power. I didn't pay anything for it outside of my time and effort. 
So it's definitely doable if you want to put the the, the the legwork into it, but you have to really d- dig deep and like research it and figure out you know what to pay on them and so forth. Because a lot of people like price gouging on that kind of stuff, and you don't you don't realize a lot of the time that you're paying too much on a piece of, a piece of beta power and so forth. Like I was going to finish my beta set at EW, but everyone wanted too much money for their stuff. I have to wait. I have to wait till another event like Gen Con. Oh yeah, they should. I mean, that's that's the time that you that you move that stuff because it's it's hyperinflated. It's, it's the only time when people are like, "Damn, I gotta have that." Yeah. So we're gonna go over some SCG results real quick. Some some legacy stuff just to kind of get a little fix in here. Um, we recently had the Star City Games having a legacy classic in Milwaukee on the 23rd of October. Congratulations, Alexander Barnett. This uh, this Alluring List looks pretty solid. Seems to play a lot like other Alluring Lists I've seen. It's like um, it plays as if it's Charlotte's Bug until it just combos out. Like I've, I've played against decks like this. You, you feel like you're playing against Charlotte's Bug, and then they drop an Eternal Witness, and you're like, what the hell's going on? And they just combo you out. You, I like it. Be- I like it better with like this, with red than without. I don't like the white version. I like the red version. A lot well, this is the red better. version. He is playing yeah, Imperial yeah. Recruiter. I feel is correct. The white version. I feel well, like I will correct. say I played again. I saw Sean O'Brien running it on a learn list that, that used white instead of red. I guess it was just dabbling and trying it out, and it looked really solid. He had a, and the reason I say it looked so solid is because he had Academy Rector in the deck, and that card is in fact Moat. That card is pretty filthy. Academy Rector is a filthy card. There, there were days in, in a standard environment where I may or may not have had a Phyrexian Negator and an Academy Rector in play, and my opponent could not do anything. Academy Rector is a magic card that does disgusting things. Well, well touching on second, then second and below, there's a, looks like a standstill Stoneblade list. Stoneblade. Please. It looks like a lot like Seedrake Stompy, if you remember how that from that deck from way back in the day in Legacy's Dark Days. Wow. It, 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 it looks very similar in the playstyle to how Seedrake Stompy played, of just getting a piece of equipment in play and then get some flying idiot and equip a sword and bash in. Now, what, what blows my mind about this deck list is there are three Jace. Um, well, you're playing standstill, so it's just, your deck actually can't win efficiently. Um, Jace is fine. It's another. It's an alternate line to win the game if you can't attack with your spell setter sprites and or even deal being quick. Okay. I, I think well, three click is ambitious, but I been, I am not I am not Dave Patwell, nor did I get second place in this classic, so I can't. Well, I you know if I were building this deck right now, I would go one click to true name. Now we got some background noise right now. That's that's me stepping outside. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm about to go back inside. Um, I think, Steven, you and I have said multiple times that Jace is the worst four-mana spell you can be casting in Legacy right now. But in this it, deck, I think you're right. It works. This deck is very, very nice in a land still, but with Stoneforge Mystic. If that's, my, that's, my, that's my personal opinion. Where you just want a turtle, and then you just kill them with with some... Uh, even plays, it even plays a Miser's Mutavolt. Like, this is insane. <laughs> Four Mistress Factory, one Mutavault. That's that's pretty deep. I mean, I I would almost go uh, Fairy Conclave over the Mutavault. Yeah, that's that's the Sean. Shout out to Sean French. That is the Sean French logic talking there. Yes, it is. Well, it produces blue. I don't know if coming and play tap is too slow for Legacy though. I think right now it is. Right now, it definitely is. 
Fair Conclave is a Sean Friend special. I he is he's a very smart man when it comes to deck building. Looking at this board here. Hydroblast, two pyro, one red elemental. I haven't seen Hydroblast played in a hot minute. Four or Grim Lava Master. Four Grim Lava Master sticks out to me. I mean, it's probably if... It functions as a Stoneforge Mystic and it keeps from putting you into four colors. Because um, you can't go into four colors with these, this number of factories. And it's basically a mono blue deck, Splash Lava Mancer. It's like, and you have Swords of Plowshares, it's like Splash Removal too, so it's kind of forced. Well, you know what this deck is missing, Steven. Enlighten me. It's missing the Rosenblade technology of one Plateau. Oh, Plateau is sweet. The card's not going to choke if you didn't know it was a <laughs> You, you want to get around chokes, still cast red and white spells. Run one plateau. Every time my opponents play choke, I fetch a plateau, and I was able to somehow maybe crawl myself out of the game because I had the, the miser's plateau on my 75. Plateau is life. Plateau is life. <laughs> I got, I've gotten so much shit for playing plateau, but it is, it is definitely got its place in my heart in that deck. We have uh, Joe lost it in third place with miracles. Is it still that Legends Miracles? Yeah. Uh, Death and Taxes in fourth is pretty normal. That's, I assume, in stock list. Death and Taxes is hard to call out on a stock list right now because they just have so many tools. I think the stock list doesn't include Prelate or Recruiter main. Those cards are just, they're, I see two Recruiter in this list, and that's fine, but that card is very slow. And Death and oh. Taxes, you know, you can lock your opponent down, so to speak. Right. This man you, is you have to, you have to, you have to close the game out as quickly as possible because that lock—it's not a lock, so to speak. You have to have some threats that are going to close the deal. Look at this man's mana base and tell me he's playing—he's playing a Ganjo Castle. He wants to keep that Brimaz alive, I guess. He is a madman, but congrats to him on fourth. He also has Mangara and Thalia. I mean, protecting Thalia from generic... Yeah, protecting Thalia is a real thing. But, like, it doesn't protect her from Bolt. It doesn't protect her from Abrupt Decay. I think he probably, if you want to know the truth, he probably will tell you right now that it, the Ajano Castle could have been a planes and it would have been just fine. Um, I like the Manriki in the sideboard. That's I, I don't see that that much anymore. And the yeah, that used to be a staple. That used to be a staple in Death and Taxes and... Uh, Maverick. And the lack of three-drop Thalia is also surprising to me, too. The new one. I'll agree with that. I would have gone with, with new Thalia over Brimaz and Recruiter. She's she's just too sick. I've definitely lost games to that card. More than my fair share. And we have Reanimator in fifth by Ty Copeland. Influent Neonate's pretty interesting, but I understand it's no, it's more faithful suiting effects on turn one. Influent yeah. Neonate's the real deal. The surprising... Thing to me is four anime deads. Yeah. He's just all in. He just wants he to get the dead real did, quick. He apparently did not play against many abrupt decays. He also has four dark rituals. He wants to get you dead real quick. Yeah, this deck appears to just flop its dick on the table and says, "What you got?" I mean, look at look at that. Like a, a gentleman's thirteen lands, six of which are fetches. <laughs> like he's all in on dark ritual. It's definitely not bad, but... It also has your favorite card, Collective, Ruta Collective Brutality in the main deck, Humphreys. Collective Brutality is is a card. I did run a, a one-copy main in Shardless at Eternal Weekend, as well as one on the board. And every time I cast it or cascaded into it, that card was amazing. Steve Rosenthal is, is to credit for that. 
it no in my opinion no shardless deck should be playing disfigure anywhere in the deck they should be playing collection brutality in its place I like the sneak attacks in the sideboard I do too it gets around any graveyard hate yeah. well not even that because he has rituals you can go you can ideally go land ritual pedal sneak attack you and if there's a dead on board they can't do anything yeah, I like the sideboard. One Blazing Archon, two Fairy Macabre, uh, three Blood Moon, three Sneak Attack, one Elish Norn, one Niona, four Thoughtseize. I like the Sneak Attack a lot because, you know, everyone's packing Rest in Peace or some kind of generic graveyard hate nowadays. Yeah, and it's it's a better it's a better answer to that than Show and Tell, in my opinion. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing calling for Needle in the deck, so the Sneak Attack is a high chance of going off. Like they're not gonna, they're probably gonna board out needles if they're main, and they're probably not gonna bring needles in if they're in board. We only have what five red sources. So if they waste one of your badlands, that's fine. But you're like, you're such a land light deck, and you're 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 so efficient on casting your spells early. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, they might keep revokers in for pedal. I I would, but I don't play DNT, so right. I'm probably, just, I'm probably just wrong. I'm a filthy shops player when I want to be. <laughs> well, if they won game one, they'll definitely bring them back on game three. Well, then in sixth place, we got Grixish. 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 <laughs> oh, shit. What about the Delver life, though? Goddamn Grixish. Is there anything uh, saucy about this Grixish list, or is it just like what they, you would it's, expect? It's standard outside of the one dismember, and I think one click main deck. Yeah, well, th- those are those are sort of like flex slots. There is absolutely nothing worth mentioning about this list. No. The, Internet uh, seventy five. I mean, Let's good, move on. you know, good good going to Dakota Clark, but you know, Let's the deck seems pretty. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could be more bored. Uh, um, I think you could be awesome. more bored with seventh place. Seventh place. I secretly hate this deck. Every single time I play against it, but shout secretly, out really, shout out to Chalice of the Void being OP. Secretly, so, because like I think you bitched about Chalice of the Void for four hours on the drive back from EW. It is not a fun. The thing is, that card is banned in Vintage. It's restricted in Vintage for a reason. It should be restricted in Legacy. I mean, I wish other formats had a restricted list. Uh, for those of you who aren't, like, a, a gorillion years old, Type 2 Standard used to have a restricted list, and I would be okay with multiple formats having a restricted list. Um, it's just healthy. Um, the fact this man plays four Chalice, I have no, nothing to comment on this deck. Right. <laughs> Evan, or, Evan or Daniel have something to say? Go ahead. We're talking about colorless Eldrazi in seventh place here. Uh, what I'm what I'm talking about is twenty five lands, no brainstorms or fetches. You're just you're balls deep on your opening hand and just praying it's good. So the mud life. The yeah, it's that mud life. Four fairy macabs in the sideboard. Probably maybe worth, good card. Worth noting, fairy macabs is seeing more play lately. Fairy Macabre is really good. Like it's it's a graveyard hate spell that a lot of decks can't interact with. Also, Stifle's on a decline right now. That's probably why he's playing Macabre's over Relic because it gets around it gets around a lot of things, and no one's really playing Stifle or expecting out of this deck. Yeah, yeah Macabre's Macabre's a solid solid sideboard and, card right and, now. And I've seen these decks sideboard ley lines and stuff stuff of that nature where they really can't cast efficiently. No. So Macabre is just I assume a more efficient a more efficient card than Ley Line of the Void. So in eighth place, we have Aluren. Uh, once again, but this time we have... This list a lot better. Oh, yeah, he's got he's running the recruiter. Yeah. I he, think he he's making a mistake. Deck? I think he's making a mistake not including uh, Academy Rector somewhere, but that's just, like, off the top of my head. Uh, the Eat Witness main deck jumps out at me as being just awesome. Oh, when you cast him at instant speed for free, he's really good. Veteran Explorer also seems... 
inefficient. Oh, that's, that's my kind of deck right there. Yeah, but you only play, what, three basics? It doesn't seem that efficient. Oh, four basics. Four basics, so if he triggers twice, it's more than fine. Plus, you got a tower. Now, what what would you cut in this list to bring in Cannon Erector? I would probably honestly cut the Veteran Explorer. Explorer, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's no, I don't like, I've seen like Nick Fit play it, but I think they play more than a fistful of basics to justify it, right? Yeah, you've. Nick Fit traditionally plays, you know, three forests, two planes, two swamp, or, you know, whatever yeah. color, color spectrum you're in, you play. Seven. Seven yeah. basics. This one playing four. Seems a little greedy with the explorers. I'd like to actually talk to him and see how like worked out for him. I mean, he may tell you that a veteran explorer was the worst card in his deck. He may tell you it was amazing. Um, I think it could go either way. Would Nova Hierarch just be better in that spot because you have a white splash already? Could could be because veteran veteran plays into your backup plan of a, of attack with dorks and be a bad Bug deck. As far as the Cabal kind of synergy, I think you have enough little dudes that if you need to emergency Cabal therapy, some sort of combo opponent, you have the dudes available. And Academy Rector still offers as a good therapy target. So if I was to make this deck tomorrow, I'd cut an Explorer and add an Academy Rector. I agree. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, if, you look, at his, if you, you look at his board, I think the deck is very deep on being <clears throat> more versatile than all-in combo. And that that could be a good thing. That that seems like it lends more to the consistency of the deck, but I still think Academy Rector is a card that belongs in there. I love the forces in the board. That the second Frexian Tower is throwing me off in the sideboard, but I love the fact he's like forces, Thalia's he's all spread out across he's he has a pile of good stuff in the sideboard. Well he can audible to a, a deck that fights combo really well. Carpet of Flowers really jumps to me is interesting, but it makes sense. Yeah, because they can just accelerate him to freaking drop an allure and a guy and another guy and, well, a fistful of guys in the same turn and just go off. Right, just outrace. My biggest thing of Veteran Explorer is it's a double-edged sword. If your opponent's, yeah. playing, if your opponent's playing Miracles or deck with a lot of basics, you're, you're asking for trouble. Right, which you're, you're talking about 30% of the format there. So that's, that's my concern with Veteran Explorer. <laughs> the rest of the top 16 is pretty boring outside of your favorite deck in 12th place, Evan, and there's Mono Red Sneak Attack in 15th place. Post Titan deck? <laughs> so in, in 9th place, we have Death and Taxes by Colin Logan. Uh, Palace Jailer is pretty sweet. Let's go over. That's a new conspiracy card, right? Uh, you become the Monarch. And, uh, it's, it's, and it's a fiend hunter. I believe the monarch says you draw an extra card every turn, or something like that. Yes. Yes, and it at the, at the end step. That's pretty gross. Like you're it, you're just no one ever is going to steal it from you. So you're just that's pretty wild. Well, and the monarch is in the command zone, so it can't be targeted. Well, and of course he has a spirit of the labyrinth, which shuts it down if your opponent's the monarch. Right. Uh, he has two sanctum prelates main deck, which is pretty sweet for the combo matchup because I know it's pretty bad. He has Thalia. Uh, I say it depends on the combo matchup, but yes. Thalia Heretic Cathar main deck, which is one of my favorite cards of Eldric Moon. And it only seems correct to me. I think if you're playing Death and Taxes, you want to be playing the three mana Thalia. Uh, Stoneforge package pretty normal. Lands are pretty normal. There's nothing abnormal there. Maybe flagstones, but it seems like a lot of lists play one to two. I don't play I don't play D and T, so I couldn't tell you about flagstones. I just know I play that card in Commander. Uh, Meekstone out of the board is pretty interesting, and getting Ally of Zendikar is also pretty sweet. Yeah, Meekstone's a good, good, solid choice. 
I've I've personally been a fan of uh, Crackdown over Mixstone, just because it's power three or greater, and so many of you guys are two or greater. Uh, the Gideon ally on the board is interesting. I mean, I I love Gideon in Stoneforge as cells because the emblem actually is a huge it's a huge it's huge game against a lot of decks. Uh, worst case, I've have a Gideon. He's a seven. He's a seven seven for four mana. Like make a guy next turn tack for tack for five with it, and you have the two two from the previous turn. Also against the blue matchups, they just can't. They have no clean answers to Gideon ever. Cataclysm, I think, is uh, an auto include in most CNT sideboards right now. The card's just gross. The yeah. fairy, the fairy macabre on his board is interesting, but it makes sense too. Fairy macabre everywhere. Fairy macabre everywhere. Fairy macabre and rest in peace. That's some graveyard hatred. So there's a lot of new cards in this deck, right? Yeah. The biggest one is uh, Palace Jailer, and that shows yeah. you like, that Legacy is incorporating a lot of the newer printed cards designed for casual players. Crew of the Guard, Palace Jailer, Sanctum Prelate, Gideon's... Which is showing me that Legacy is evolving. Well, there are always inter- innovations to be made, and I think that's... You know, that may be one good thing about uh, Legacy moving away from Star City, is that instead of just copy pasta my Star City list, lol, here's X player's list, I really liked it. It's more people looking at what the archetypes are and seeing what can slot in better. Well, it's unlike Standard, where Standard, there's no innovation. You have, I mean, there's some innovation, but for the majority, the, the pros already figured it out and their deck list is everywhere. Right. And then there's only so, much, there are only so many sets to work with or Legacy... Legacy, you, you have the universe to work with. You have all of magic history, basically, to look back on and figure out what you want to do with it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things people aren't doing necessarily with that knowledge. And there are a lot of cards that you know people forgot about that come out of left field. And you know, I've seen. I handed a friend of mine what four or five years ago a, a Maverick deck, and I said, just be an asshole, play this card in the in the sideboard. And I gave him a Tividar's Crusade to play in the sideboard. And he, ca- he resolved it against a Goblins player. And the guy had to, like, what does that do? Well, it says you bend over. You don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know. But uh, all those are gone. <laughs> Move into 10th place here. Blue-Red Delver, Bedlam Reveler. The true name is also interesting in this deck, too. I don't see a lot of true names in these decks traditionally. And the one of Fire and Ice is pretty sweet, too, over the fourth days. This guy's got one Null Rod, which is good. People need to be playing more of that card. Uh, out of the board, Pyrokinesis is pretty interesting, too. And Shadow of the Sudden Shock being a good magic card again. It's like Storm Chaser Mage is one at spot in Blue-Red Delver. That's pretty normal. It's, it's yeah. a flying idiot. It's like Delver number four. It's Delver's number five to eight. Eleventh place, which is Shardless Soltide. I've, I've been looking at it, and honestly, nothing seems correct about it, but I guess he knows what he's doing. Why don't you break it down? Well, I know you're a shardless player. Well, there, there's only one Baleful Strix, which in, in the land of creature decks seems incorrect. I can't imagine a worse thing to cascade into other than Jace's Fringe Prodigy. That's true. Jace the Mind Sculptor is uh, a good card, but not as good right now as he was. We're playing two copies as opposed to the, tr- to the traditional one. Uh, personally, I've cut him completely from the deck. Liliana the Bill should be there. I play two, personally. Our spell package, him to Torex seems pretty miserly. I like having four Force of Will as opposed to the three, just because you cannot beat combo game one. You have to have Force of Will. Right. Four of Rub Decay I agree with. Three Ancestral Visions is fine. I'm not sold on Thoughtseize main deck or Toxic Deluge main deck. 
I think that you do better work with Baleful Strixus. On the sideboard is just a whole different monster. Life from the Loam seems very, <laughs> very greedy. I'm not sure what he's trying to do with it. Maybe salvage himself from getting wastelanded out of the game. Or... You also try to wasteland lock people out of the game, too. Well, with, with, with only two wasteland, that seems pretty hard to do. If you, like, get, if you can get the lock early enough, and you, I guess if you have abrupt decay force will to keep them off spells, it makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of spells that I personally wouldn't want to cascade into in the sideboard. Uh, Cage is a, is a fine card. I think there's better graveyard hate out there. Leyline of the Void would be my my graveyard hate of choice. Dark Blast is fine. Disfigure, I prefer Collective Brutality, obviously. Two Fluster Storm is, seems very greedy. I want no counter spells other than Force of Will, honestly. When you're, um, you don't want it in any sort of control matchup. You, you just my, want to bring in additional discard. My biggest call about Fluster Storm, the card's amazing, and I'll give it, I'll, I'll warrant that, but every time I have it in my hand and I board it in, I just get it to rest, and I don't want to add the storm count. Correct. Yeah, that the, is, that, the better that is card. My biggest qualm about that. The better card, in my opinion, and this is from um, Sneak and Show. I was talked uh, out of playing uh, Flusterstorm in the board of Sneak and Show. Additional Red Elemental Blast because Flusterstorm is oftentimes just another spell pierce. It is. It never does what you want it to do, which is just blow out your storm opponent. Usually, it wins the counter war by being another spell pierce, and red elemental blast just goes. Deeper. Well, not not in shardless, or not. Well, no, no, not in shardless. Clearly. What about misdirection over? Do you think misdirection would fit in that slot? Misdirection is fine. Misdirection is a fine card. Or if you want to go deep, you can play divert. Except that you cascade into it. Like, I personally, I don't want to cascade into anything unless it's going to immediately impact the board or fuck my opponent's hand up. Gotcha. I mean, you, a lot of times, you hold, you find yourself holding Charless Agents because your opponent hasn't got a permanent worth abrupt decay yet. Because if you cascade into it, you're just like, oh, well, I guess I'll not cast it. Uh, the jet in the board's correct. I board one myself. The two to rest I like over Thoughtseize because the two, two life is often relevant, although I may find myself going more thought sees over to rest these days. Also notice this man does not play basic island in his deck. He does not, and that's a that's a choice that a lot of Charlotte's players make that, that I chose not to. I opted to cut a creeping tar pit because having two is the most god awful thing in the world. Well they're and, just guild gates, right? Most of the time they're just Yeah, like they are, they are most of the time. And Neither Creeping Tar Pit nor Island can cast Deathrite Shaman on turn one. So what are you losing except that you don't get blown out by a Wasteland? Yeah, well, waste, I, Wasteland I, functions more of as uh, more, more as a utility card in that deck than, than anything else. No, I mean, I, but I, I can see it like you going for, like, the Wasteland Chokehold, so to speak, and you just, like, keep pitching lands to Liliana that you keep recurring for free. Yeah, but the, he's only running one Liliana. I don't agree with that. I'd play at least two. I think two is the correct number. I think the correct number of Jace right now, given the way the format is, is zero. The amount of times I lose a Liliana the Veil is like, it's, I'm probably like 80% loss ratio against that card every time someone plays it against me. Like it's an unreal. It's like it's unreal how like how much of a blow that card actually is. So we'll move on to twelfth place. Slivers by Xander Niazi. Ah, oh, Xander. I know. Get I know. There. I know you do love some slivers, Evan. You want to touch up on this? I play a little bit of slivers. So Xander is the player who has been making some noise with slivers. We've got eleventh at Eternal Extravaganza. Recently got third. Oh, did he top eight one of them with this deck? Yeah. Oh, so this is the same guy. 
Yeah, it's the same. This is the same guy. He's been rampaging with slivers the past month. So his list real quick, four crystalline sliver, four gale rider sliver, three hibernation sliver, three muscle sliver, two phantasmal image, four predatory sliver, four sinew sliver. Land package is one island, one plains, three cavern, four flooded strain, three misty rainforest, four mutable, one savanna, one trop, one tundra, one, one sea. Spells, we have four ether vial, two sylvan libraries, three brainstorms, three days, four force of will. Sideboard being three pithing needle, three harmonic sliver, three fluster storm, three surgical extraction, and three thalia. I like this list a lot. I like it a lot because it's so concentrated and it's just aggressive as shit. And it has what it needs to back up that aggression. I like the needle naming wasteland in the board. That's exactly what you want in this deck. Yeah, I, I feel like this is pretty well ironed out now. This is uh, his latest list. I remember this man top aided E Eternal Extravaganza like two years ago, I want to say, with this deck, or a deck of similar. He was also playing Slivers back then. Yeah, he had two one ofs. He had uh, one Mox Diamond and one Swords to Plowshares. Well, you know, Counter Sliver back in Extended used to play uh, multiple swords, but I think it's correct now just to cut it all together. Like, you're just, there's so many Muscle Slivers now. And the Gale Rider is so much better than Wing Sliver. The deck just can kill you out of nowhere. He took out the Mox Diamond and upped the Cavern of Souls to three from two. This list is a little more of a tank. Uh-huh. It, it appears to be, just just looking at it on paper, it appears to be very streamlined, very tight. And the sideboard is very direct and to the point. It's established what its threats are and what its answers are. Uh, going to 13th place, we have another death and taxes in the 13th, 13th place by Robert, Robert Jacobs. Don't see anything special here. He has three pre Demetrius factories, kind of interesting. Wilt Leaf Liege. That's pretty normal, I think, nowadays for Lillian in the Veil deck. Uh, all, right. all right. And it, it's also an anthem effect, if I recall correctly, for green and white. It is. It is. So, like, they, they make you pitch it. it it's a 4-4 base with an anthem built in, so all your other guys get bigger. And the two, I'm really happy he's playing two Gideon in the sideboard. Yeah, absolute law, too. Well, he's the E-Tutor, so it makes sense to go, go a little wider on that. Pretty normal. 14th place, we have Elves. Yeah, the Elves is pretty stock, I believe. This man has Cavernous Souls, which a lot of lists don't play Caverns, but other than that, I don't see anything crazy. It's pretty stock outside of the Caverns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Marred Sneak Attack in 15th. This is by Andrew Heiser. He is a Minneapolis-based player. Combustible Gear Hulk and Shock of Fortune Defiance. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so this is a cool list. This list, my, my one of my opponents was bitching about getting uh, 31 to the head on turn one at Eternal Weekend. How? Gear Hulk? It was the absolute perfect seven with two seething songs, a sneak attack, and a grizzle brand, and cast it on turn one. Draw seven, find bigger, find work. Yeah, exactly. The main deck seems pretty stock other than the combustibles and Chandra. Is Crystal Vein and Sandstone Needle normal in these kind of decks? Sandstone Needle is actually present in more than one, typically. I like the Crystal Vein because Crystal Vein can do the work of a normal land, but can accelerate you when you need it to. I think well, that's an underplayed card. number nine, right? That's all it is? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I'm a big fan of Crystal Vein. I think it is a fine card that's probably underplayed. 
I agree. Some people play it in replace of a City of Traders. Keep more light. I mean, the, the problem is with City of Traders and Sandstone Needle is losing out on mana in two different ways. Sandstone coming in tapped, and then that also leads on to a path of it being wastelanded with no usage. And then City of Traders being eliminated once a land is played. So Crystal Vein is a little bit of a fix where Sandstone Needle's kind of gone down in play. Like It was like a three or four of quite a while, but I think Quite a few big red players have turned off well, a bit. What, what jumps at me is like Crystal Vein, Lotus Petal, Blood Moon on turn one. Mm-hmm. That is like a deep play to make. He, he does have a lot of ways to go Blood Moon on turn one or two. That's the heart of the deck for sure. I mean, That's for the sideboard? Uh, Spirit Guides, Lotus Petals. I mean, that's just big red, but. Combustible Gear Hulk and the Chandra are the two big new additions. Combustible Gear Hulk, making this deck a little more pokerish than it already is. Dude got blown up by Chandra and Vintage. I was playing against a man playing Moat, Nahiri, and Chandra in his deck. Jace. <laughs> I, got my, I got my face blown off by Chandra pretty handily. Yeah, I think she's pretty good. I think she's, I think she's a solid one-up in this deck. Like, the emblem is just so backbreaking. Like, it's ridiculous how good it is. I would even consider two of her in this deck. Just the ability to, like, look at extra cards is insane. Um, as for the board, the pyram- the Kozak Return is pretty interesting. I like it, especially with a deck like this that can accelerate better. It's it's better than Pyroclasm. When you're casting all these big spells, you're just, you, you may just deal five to everything. The Price of Glory is a complete actual blowout. <laughs> yes, it is. That that was an interesting card. I'm actually looking at it right now. I remember that card. I remember getting a 15th pick a lot of times. Uh, the, I find the one pyromancy interesting, but like I get it. You only want to see one. But you also your deck's full of like just mono high drops, so it makes sense. Yeah. Pyrostatic pillar is interesting against storm. It's interesting as a lot of decks. Um, Reed Duke actually dropped it or attempted to drop it turn two against me um, on Charles. Andy W and I was like, well, shit, that's not what I expected, but it it would be really good if it resolved. What was he playing? I uh, was playing Burn. Sick. Yeah, we had a uh, three very tight games. Did you get there? Did you beat him? Uh, I got there on the back of Collective Brutality. Brutality. It was brutal. It's like an awful Mortal Kombat joke, but. Yes. <laughs> As for 16th place, there's the Gris. Elver. Grixish. Elver, help me, Internet. Grixish, Grixish. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's nothing special about this list. It's all boring. Very, very stock type things. I like the Winter Orb in the board. It's correct. I like the Painful Truths. Fire Covenant. Fire Covenant's the card a lot of people overlook. Yeah, that's a great card. It's been mentioned here and there, but yeah, I. I think people still haven't realized it's true power yet. That card is an actual blowout. And the fucking art is so sick. But like, <laughs> what's like, a, what's like a, it's a dragon breathing fire or something? No, it's, he's not even breathing fire. He's just like there. He's like, I'm a dragon. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to fucking eat your head and then I'm going to blow fire in my mouth to cook you. And then I'm going to eat your head and then blow fire in your mom's mouth. The card is pretty sick. The art is amazing. The Fork Bolt's interesting, but I get why they play Fork Bolt. Delver Dash sometimes play a one-of. Yeah, the, the Miser's Forked. Everything else is bland. There's nothing that jumps out of me. How does this deck deal with Eldrazi? It you doesn't. Don't. 
<laughs> Praise it doesn't get paired against it. You generate one ones and just jump block for days. Fly over with a Delver. Death right for two. Just have two Belfal Strix in the board, which is very. Thomas and forget your chalice is no text box. <laughs> now the the two Belfal Strix is 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 good versus the Eldriazis. Kermog keeps pace. Young Pyromancer clogs up the board. It's not an unwinnable matchup, but I wouldn't say it's favored at all. I could say I would say it could go on paper. I would say it could go either way. I think you just board out your counter magic and bring in your Strixes, your uh, hell, maybe even your fire. <laughs> Sometimes you may just take five to the face and kill something. I mean, killing um, Reality Smasher isn't the end of the world. Like that's fine. Yeah, you just get off the table. Same as TKS, right? Like you don't want to deal with that card ever. What, real quick, what did you play at Eternal Weekend Home 3? Are you playing Shardless? I played Shardless for Legacy, and uh, much to, dip, to my dismay, uh, after two buys, I ran into Show and Tell Round 3 and Belcher Round 4. And from there, I managed to squeak out a less than stellar record. I did, after Round 3, go and pound a six-pack of beer in about ten minutes to kind of turn the corner. <laughs> And uh, one win from roughly uh, money. Rosenblade, did you play any Legacy at all? Or? I did not touch Legacy. I played Vintage, and I went 1-2 from, like, I was just, my first three rounds were just actual trash because I was tired. Yeah. Woke up, lost in round six, won round seven, lost in round eight to not go X and four. Now, our Vintage did, choices were pretty interesting. I did have the sickest turn one ever against Shops. I, I'm proud of myself for this moment. Landmox Time Walk, uh, untap. Landmox Snapcaster Time Walk. And I'm on the play. This is game two. I lost game one. This is the sickest and, story in the world, by the way. And then turn three, and I'm like, I have five lands. Ponder, Young Pyromancer, go. And I have a Snapcaster. He slams Skyship off of Misha's Workshop and Soul Ring. I Ingot Chewer the Skyship, and Ingot Chewer taps for 18 damage that game. Oh. I don't think you went into depth in depth about um what your Paris to six consisted of that oh, game. Tony, don't even. No, 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 that's the best story I've heard in a long time. <laughs> that was, that, this was a side event Sunday. I I don't know what I was thinking. I bowled you weren't. six. <laughs> I mulch the six. Go to scry. Don't look at the six cards. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I guess I'm stuck with this. The hand is like mentor, snapcaster, recall, probe, misstep, and a blank. I forget the, the card was irrelevant. The six card was like, I think Dak Fade, which did nothing. Uh, I probe, ripple land, hit a flooded strand, get a, a the dual land, cast recall. He missed up, missed up back, draw three. Rip Lotus off the recall. Lotus Snapcaster recall. <laughs> I don't think you realized it was a blind multi six. I didn't look at the cards. So sick. Well, you were functioning on what one hour of sleep at that point. Yes. Don't mind. <laughs> it was it was brutal. Like I I couldn't believe anything. I was thinking it was the most savage mising I've seen in, in many years. I was thinking the entire time. I just I went to scry and without looking at the six card baseline. Proceeds to just have misstep, draw Lotus, and to snapcast a recall. Game, please. Too, it's too hard. <laughs> the ultimate aping. But Ingotu attacking for 18 damage was the, my highlight of the weekend. Well, it looks like the taxman had fun at Eternal Weekend. Well, it was good having the taxman on today's cast. 
they broke down some numbers. Any last taxing shout-outs you guys have? Um, my my shout-out would be, you know, anybody who wants to jam some old school, regardless of what your deck looks like or contains, I make it a point to keep, keep old school on me. Uh, I will sign and deface any and all Lycation Javelineers. Yes. And uh, I think we're all looking forward to our next event as the uh, Gigabytes Monthly for MoxJet. Yep, correct. We have a monthly on November 12th for a MoxJet. I'll dust off Rosenblade to play in that. Seems like good, good value. It's good EV for the taxman. I'll put it back together. I'll, shant, I'll throw from all the scraps it's in right now. Yeah. It's all about the dollar signs. I think the only tax man we may lack is uh, is Vintage Greg for that event. Vin- yes, Vintage Greg is a native of Detroit. For who does if anyone doesn't know him, travels very sparingly for events when he when he wants to go to them. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately for my liver. And uh, Rosenblatt, any special tax man shout outs? Shout outs to Humphrey's liver for lasting twelve hours of straight binge drinking. <laughs> more like 15. <laughs> Definitely more than 12. We started at 11 before we left the hotel, and I got back at like 4 in the morning. Also, shout-out to Iman for giving me a spot in old school. I really appreciate it. Iman is the sickest altered curd apes. Oh, I know. He's the Yeah, but I, I plan on trumping that. I plan on, I'm not going to reveal it, but I will have the sicker curd apes. Nice. By sicker, I mean dead, in theory. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Rip in peace. <laughs> yeah. Anything else from you guys? No, that's it. I have nope, not at all. Good cast, Evan. I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more in the future. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Evan. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we're going to have Sean O'Brien on too, um, but he's doing some testing for a very cool game that he's working on. We'll continue to do the good deed of uh, putting out these casts. Really glad to have you guys on. Uh, I appreciate you having me. I'm, uh, as soon as I get off here, I'm, I'm headed to the Skanky Bar. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm uh, to bed as it's uh, midnight here now. It is fairly late. I'm probably going to head to bed myself. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for hanging in there. All right. Well, I'm going to drop off here. All right, guys. Appreciate it. I'll well, see you tomorrow night. All right. I'll see you tomorrow night at Legacy. Oh, yeah. I'll also see you tomorrow night as well. I forgot. I'm going. Uh, All right, well, we'll all be playing Legacy tomorrow. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to Press Talk. New episode coming soon. Ciao.